0: Welcome, everyone, to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 365. Yes, that is right. You could listen from episode one, one episode per day, and have enough to fill up a whole year. It's been
1: a long time. time And by the time you did that, there'd be a lot more episodes. About 52, give or take. Give or take, yeah.
0: Yes, uh, I am Peter, joining me as always. Well, not as always. Matt's not here, unfortunately. He's off doing some weekend trip with his wife. Uh, But Connor's here.
1: Yeah, I, I thought I'll fill in. Why not? That's the real Nate Terror of everything. That's that's a lot more insulting now that I've read enough of these books to know.
0: Oh, great! We're we're in store for a negative Connor rant. I I've got a feeling. Uh, is
1: is it a rant or is it just
2: a series of disappointments?
0: Knowing you as a series of disappointments. So I'll, I'll agree with that uh, that's at, the, just, uh, yeah. at the very least. This is a DC Comics podcast, everyone. We get together, we talk about the DC books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Night Terrors Issue 1, which is really Issue 2, but they called Issue 1 First Blood, and this is called Issue 1. But really, that was Issue 1, and this is Issue 2. Why, why they did this, I don't know. They, like It's like they name comics to be more confusing when they don't need to. They, they, they shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly with this shit. Anyway, uh, Night Terrors issue 1, uh, we got Night Terrors Green Lantern issue 1, Night Terrors The Flash issue 1, Night Terrors Shazam issue 1, and Night Terrors Zatanna issue 1. Uh, plus, World's Finest Teen Titans issue 1, Unstoppable Doom Patrol issue 4, and Danger Street issue 7. Uh, plus, connor get a Patreon book, he'll be talking about Nocterra issue 13. So, um that's what's coming up on the show um, that's most of the Night Towers books covered once again uh, the only casualty I think was the Robin book because it was by some random creative team that was
1: and there was nothing really appealing about it So, uh, and you know the, as a rule these have not been that exciting to read so random team we're not familiar with on a Robin book is not super enticing Hmm. So,
0: yeah, we'll get into our thoughts on all those Night Terror books uh, in a little bit, but of course, uh, we've we've got a couple of other things to talk about first, such as everyone's favourite segment it is the Comixology Top 10. That is right. So, we're going to look at the rankings as of right now in Comixology for Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh would Connor care to take a guess as to what number one from Tuesday is from DC's books? I'd like
2: to
1: think it's not a Night Terrors book, but it's going to be. Uh, ideally, I'd say it's, uh, I don't know, World's, T- World's Finest
2: Teen Titans. But in reality, it's probably just Night Terrors 1.
0: It's World's Finest Teen Titans.
1: Oh, pleasantly surprised. Number Maybe two is Night Terrors 1. Skip event a little bit
0: uh i mean maybe mark made sales that may just be it uh but number two is night terrors issue one and number three is superman lost issue five which you'll notice wasn't in the list because i decided i didn't want to read it with all these other books going on uh, uh my last couple of reviews of that have been definitely leaning on the negative side so it probably shouldn't come as that much of a surprise that i uh wanted to drop it um number four is night terrors green lantern number five is Night Terror's Robin. Number 6 is Night Terror's Shazam. Number 7 is Night Terror's Zatanna. Number 8 is Night Terror's The Flash. Number 9 is Danger Street. And number 10 is Wildcats. Which is a shame, because just missing out on the top 10 at number 11 is Unstoppable Doom Patrol, uh, which has been a consistently great book. So it's a shame that that's not quite squeaking in, but... Well, also, it's a
1: Doom Patrol book. It's not like they've ever sold particularly well. Yeah, but come on. It's no, a better no. book. I'm, I'm I'm not disputing that. I'm no, saying it's no, not surprising. No, no, no. no, no.
0: This,
3: what I was going to say is, but better than Wildcats. Come on, surely. I don't know. I mean, again, quality aside, Wildcats
1: has that that early image boom name recognition to it that that there's a lot of people were reading those books at the time, right? Probably I probably more than ever read a Doom Patrol book.
3: I have never met a single person who's told me the. Nor care about Wildcats. Yeah, but before
1: the Doom Patrol show, you could probably count the amount of people who said that about Doom Patrol on your fingers.
0: I'd heard about Doom Patrol more, though. Yeah, that's fair. I could have told you who any
3: Wildcats members were, but I could have told you a few Doom Patrol members. not sure I still can. Uh, Drifter. Oh, yeah. He's, He's a Wildcat dude. Uh, and that one that's going
0: to be on Birds of Prey. Who's name I'm forgetting?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Point taken.
0: <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's that's DC's uh, Spirit World coming at number thirteen. Um, uh, and then after that, you're basically into the the trades and whatnot. Uh, and then looking at Wednesday's books, do you have a guess for Wednesday's number one?
1: Uh, I didn't look what came out from Marvel this week. I'm assuming something X many.
0: It is Immortal X Men, issue 13. Uh, number two is X Force, issue 42. Number three is X Men Days of Future Past. Oh, let me get the full title of this Days of Future Past, Doomsday, issue one of four. Well, that
1: sounds exciting. By Mark Guggenheim. <laughs> Sorry, we're bringing back Days of Future Past by Uncle Googie. Yes, that's exactly what the people want. Uh, number four is Fallen Friend, issue one, which is That's a... the uh, the memorial issue for for Miss Marvel, who they definitely didn't already announce her resurrection later in the week. Uh,
0: that, that is that is true, uh, but that is G. Willow Wilson notably writing that, so they actually it's, brought it's her a back. whole lot
1: of people. It's it's like a collection, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah, but it's still noble they brought her back when she's been gone from Marvel yeah. for a bit. Uh, so that's that. Uh, Number 5 is Moon Knight issue 25. Number 6 is Amazing Spider-Man. Number 7 is Scarlet Witch. Number 8 is Rogue and Gambit. Number 9 is Darth Vader. And number 10 is Loki. So that's an all Marvel top 10. So relatively boring, uh, all things considered. Uh, I, I like at least one image book or something to sneak in there, just for excitement. Uh, notably, there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Stranger Things issue one out this week. Uh, they're doing a, a, a crossover comic. And, I mean, IDW have crossed uh, Turtles over with just about everything at this point. Uh, but that's an interesting one. Yeah,
1: that's uh, it's different.
0: Uh, if only because everything else they've crossed over with has been something kind of of that time period that Turtles came from. You know, it's been turtles power rangers turtles uh usagi Ranger things
1: is set in that time period
0: yeah it's set in that but it's not from that time period so it's it's, it's not a- from
1: that but it's evoking that time period quite heavily <laughs> and relying on it so
0: yeah but that's what I'm saying it's interesting that like th- th- this is very different to a lot of its other crossovers it would be like if they did a crossover with i don't know
1: john wick <laughs> No well see this is where I disagree. That's that's completely different. Stranger Things is rooted in 80s nostalgia, and that's you know when when Turtles started. So it it has that inherent link there at least. I guess that's basically meaningless though.
0: I d I don't think it is. But it's it's a book crossover. You could literally cross over with anything from any
1: time period. You could. Of of course you could, but I think, in terms of with Stranger Things, I, I, having not read it, I assume it plays it being early incarnations
3: of the Turtles. Like the the point was from the the start is that it's crossing over with a new property,
0: which is interesting. You arguing that because it's set in the eighties does that change that point. I, I never said it did. Well, shut up. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> Anyway, there's your comicology top 10.
3: Uh, aye. There's a bunch of Boring Star Wars books out in, like, number f- like 15 or something. Well, that's a trade, uh, actually. Which one? I don't
0: know. It's an epic collection Tales of the Jedi, oh. something.
1: The epic collections are the ones that are mostly the Dark Horse
2: stuff.
0: Hmm. Oh, well. Uh, there's a couple of our Turtles books, actually. So those Turtles. Just the, the, like it's a one four one or whatever the next issue
3: is, but what's this one? There's another issue. Oh, it's the annual. Okay, they're annual So there's a lot of Turtles comics out this week. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, alright, well there you go, there's the Comicsology Top 10. Uh,
0: as far as news goes, there is a couple of tidbits, uh, that are movie side of things for DC, not so much comics specifically. Uh, but basically just a bunch more casting for Superman Legacy. Obviously we already had Superman and Lois cast uh, this week we got a whole host of supporting characters added which are interesting but I would also argue a little concerning in some ways uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a second but the names that have been announced uh, are Nathan Fillion as Guy Gardner
1: for Superman be Legacy in this particular movie because that's Fillion roles in most James Gunn movies
0: uh, I mean, you might be right, but he's already hinted that that's a role that might be popping up a lot, o- like over several DC movies.
1: I I don't doubt that. I think but, specifically in this movie, it'll be a small part. But
0: uh, anyway, let me finish that. So you got him as Guy Gardner. You have a hot girl played by Isabella Uh Merced, and you've got a Mister Terrific played by Ed Uh Gathige, or Gathege. Maybe I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Apologies. Uh, and then, a couple of days later, they also announced uh, Anthony Carrigan as Metamorpho. So, I I think it may be a slightly bigger role than you're thinking. It's obviously not going to be, like, your know, co-leader or like that, but I think the fact that they announced all these together does make it feel like there's maybe some sort of team, like, subplot or something in the background. Um, Because this is a really random batch of characters to, to throw together, I would say. Um, which is actually one of my concerns. I I as much as it's neat that they're doing these characters, this has given me a lot of flashbacks of a lot of recent movies of announcing, hey, here's a bunch of other superhero characters that were thrown into this. Um obviously the Flash did it, uh in big notable ways, but even something like Black Adam, it's like, hey, we're doing like a half GSA kinda kinda thing and
1: Ha- having still not seen that movie, that always kind of made sense, though, right? Because Black has been tied with the JSA a lot, and he's inherently a more villainous character. So throwing in a bunch of actual heroes always made sense.
0: But it's Pens- not really actually, at least it's it's not really about one specific example, though. It's more like does this marketing cycle to all these movies now, where they want to like get a bunch of hits with their news by saying, "Hey, we've got this character, oh, we've got this character, and we've got this character." Oh, and honestly, like, I, I was kind of hoping this would just be a Superman movie, and it's weird to say I'm disappointed because I really like Nathan Fillion, although Guy Gardner's a choice. Uh, I'll say that. The correct one, yeah. Could have been any other Green Lantern, pretty much. Well, maybe not John or, like, Jessica, because he's not obviously right for those roles, but, you know. Yes, he, Simon. He, he, could have, he could have been a Hal. He voiced Hal in an animated thing. Why not? If anything, isn't Hal supposed to be older than Guy?
1: I think yes, but also I think the age is less, imp- at least for me, the age is less important. More that he's the lantern first is more important. Yeah, I mean that's
0: true. I suppose he could he could be first, but a little bit younger.
1: Yeah, like if, if he's even a decade younger, but he's still the first lantern, that's that's still fine for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I'm I'm just concerned that it's a bit overstuffed and we're going... And I, I know that the whole point of this, like, James Gunn-led universe is that it has been designed as a universe, Um, but I, there is a slight red flag for me that, hey, we've got four other superhero characters announced, like, this early. Like, if this was, like, a surprise, if we went to see the movie, and, like, later on there was, like, a little scene where it's, like, hey, cut to, like, Justice League International, and there's Metamorpho, Guy Gardner, Mr. Terrific, and Hot Girl sitting around and they have a little cameo or something that'd be neat but announcing them as supporting characters is a little concerning to me
1: i'm not concerned right now my assumption is still they're smaller roles than maybe you're thinking i think yeah they've announced them instead of you know saving it i think part of that is some of these are fairly notable actors it would probably get out especially as It was supposed to be starting to shoot pretty soon. I think Uh, they just assumed... Yes. Emphasis on was. (laughs) Um, Yes, was. Uh, I think they assumed it would all probably leak, and they'd rather just control the story themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's entirely possible that they're announcing these because they're big roles, but just not specifically for this movie. You know, they'll, they'll be practically cameos in this and then they'll have bigger roles and more crossover stuff down the line and that's completely fine it is i've just i've had too many like movies recently where they're shoving movies full of characters uh in mm-hmm. both marvel and dc have been guilty of it recently and it, it has become very tiring and you know it's like, i mean even like you know if you look at the flash and it's like they're just out of nowhere oh by the way one of the main characters this is a supergirl that's been introduced for the first time and it kind of reeks of that early DCEU stuff where it was like we're trying to catch up with Marvel so we're we're skipping some steps and just shoving in characters willy-nilly trying to you know speed things up Yeah, so it is raising some red flags for me obviously the approach might be very different but on the
1: bright side all the casting seems pretty great
0: Oh, yeah. There's, there's no one there that I, I mean, I really know most
1: of them to be honest. Nathan Fillion's the only one that I really know. But I know. Um, Isabella Mer said she was in the, uh, she was the lead in that that Dora the Explorer movie, which was surprisingly really good.
3: That's sh-
1: this, no. <laughs> this may shock you, but I have not seen the Dora Explorer movie. Okay, um, having not seen the the newest Indiana Jones movie, but based on what I know of it, and yeah. You know, the general reception. Probably the best Indiana Jones movie
2: in in like twenty years.
3: Okay. So you know, tell that as you may. Um, more like thirty-four years, but.
0: All right, fine. Well, well the last good one came out the year I was born, so it's very easy to
1: just. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Do the math in my head because it's my age. Fair enough. I I, I didn't work it out. I just picked a number off the top of my head that was definitely older than my last two.
0: Look, I'm sorry to tell you this, but, like, time is moving on, and it's now been 34 (laughs) years since 1989, okay?
1: I don't want to think about it. Which means you must be, like, 30, like, already. No, uh, next year. Let's let's not talk about it. (laughs) I have to hear about it every goddamn day at work, and I'm quite happy not thinking about it in my week off. Thank you very much. Even today, Paige was like, she was like, oh, I don't know what I'm getting for your birthday next week. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't care. Yeah, I kind of forgot. I was too busy thinking about what I'm going to do for your 30th. I'm like, no, don't think about that. Is
0: that she... doesn't need thinking about. Is she the same year as you, or is she slightly different?
1: She's a year younger than me.
0: Oh, she gets to milk it for a year then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, she says like 11 months younger. So, yeah, she gets 11 months of milk it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're basically
0: already there. There's no point in even... even... Yeah, oh. it feels that way. Uh, maybe just wishful thinking on my part. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, um, like I, 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 uh, I hope. I mean, I, more than anything else, I want to want to see this movie. I want a trailer to come out in a couple of years' time. Right. Well, it'd be a year if they were actually going to shoot soon, but I'm I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm predicting at least a year delay based so on a couple
1: of years. We should have seen the movie already.
0: Yeah. But you know, because of the actors and writer strike uh, at the same time right now, uh, the actors one especially, because I think the script was already written, which is why they thought they were going to be shooting soon. Um, I suspect at least a year delay to the release date. Uh, unless the strike. Along with every other release, date, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's not just this movie. Every every movie that's got a date for next year, push them all back by a year, probably, unless the strike is much quicker than we were thinking. But I doubt it. Um. But I, I want, when the trailer came out, I want to go, that looks good. It looks like a Superman movie. I want to feel excited because there's very few superhero movies that have made me feel anything in their marketing in quite a while. Uh, the last one that I was excited to go see was the Matt Reeves one because it was directed by Matt Reeves. It, you know, it wasn't the superhero element to it that got me excited. It was, uh, and I ended up really liking yeah. that movie. Uh, but- and you have to be careful not to get
1: burned because Man of Steel had a great trailer.
0: And yeah, no, I managed to, it was The best part of the movie was the trailer. There's no, yeah. no denying that. Um, but, you know, everything
1: else. Like, you know, you know, I've seen trailers for Blue Beetle, and I'm
0: like, eh, it looks
1: fine, but like... Yeah, um, I saw a trailer for that for the first time when I went to see something at the cinema recently. What did I see? I don't remember. Um, but I watched the trailer, and I was like, huh, this, this is a real movie. I guess, I guess they're making this. I kind of keep... It just doesn't feel real.
0: The problem is is there's so many superhero movies now that while any of them would have felt like an event if they were building up to them, and, you know, that's something Marvel capitalized on a lot early days of the MCU, when it was like, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy is this new thing, we're going to build up to it, and we're going to make it feel like a big deal. Now there's so many of them that it... it, They kind of almost get lost in this shuffle, and even if you're not feeling the fatigue, which I do think a lot of people are, I definitely am, I think there is this kind of, like, you know, lessening of the, like the more there is of something inherently less special they all feel. And we're getting to this point now we're doing characters like Blue Beetle, and it's like, well, you screwed up The Flash. <laughs> so my my trust and excitement levels are a little haywire right now, you know? It was Across the Spider-Verse, that's what I went to see, which
1: was actually a very good superhero movie.
0: Most people seem to agree. I've not seen the new one yet. Obviously, the first one was very good. I'll I'll, I'll yeah. get around to it. Uh, I've seen enough things for review recently. Uh, it, it, it is sad. It's sad that Transformers Rise of the Beast was more enjoyable than Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. I did not want to hear that. Not, not, but, <laughs> not by a huge amount, but if I was to pick what, what I liked more, I would say the Saturday morning cartoon vibes of that movie, for as flawed as it is, was more entertaining. If, if
1: someone put, you know, Gunty your Hair, like, you've got to watch one of these movies right now. Uh, I'm picking the, Transformers. I'm
0: picking Transformers. Right, so the piece over the. Over oh. the day. For a start, it's half an hour shorter. <laughs> so that's, that's right away. Right, well,
1: what that's telling me is when I, when I went to see Spider Verse, I had a choice between seeing that or Indiana Jones. Like, that was like, the day and the time slot and like, the only time I had to work. I was like, right, okay, I can see one of these movies. I, I'm feeling like I made the right choice. <laughs> I mean, Indy takes some big
0: swings in the last 20 minutes, but it's very repetitive up until that point. Hmm. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, although it's funny that we brought this up again, because uh, Matt was getting very upset with me last week for telling him it was it was mediocre, and he is not hearing that. He thinks it's amazing, uh, and and he, he does. He's refusing to hear any negative opinions on the matter.
1: <sighs> I'll just not watch it for a year, and then and then and watch it and be like, "Yep, it was fine." You may think it's less than fine, to be honest. Oh, that's concerning.
0: You might.
3: I don't know. It's...
0: I don't know. It's... it's, Like, there's a couple of interesting things you can tell the director what to try and say about the character, but it's almost hindered by having to be an Indiana Jones movie. It would actually be more interesting if it was just a drama about old man Indiana Jones who doesn't go on an adventure. But no, we have to have him put the hat on. We have to have... pretend that we can do action scenes still. (laughs) We have to do all the... Stuff I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a bit concerning.
0: Anywho, uh, so that's a that's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, enjoy talking about movies because they'll, they'll they'll stop happening for a while. Uh, but probably about the end of the year, uh, they'll dry up and it'll be no nothing nothing new for a while. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about the actor strike in more detail, go check out the uh, Mailfuzz TV podcast over on MailFuzzTV, TV the YouTube channel. So thank you very much. Anyway, uh, there you go. That's that that, that that was that was the juice. There's was just a Superman casting. And I suspect this type of news is probably going to dry up as well, because like, with, with no acting happening, there won't be any casting news, certainly. With no writers, they won't be developing any new movies for a while, so uh, we better hope the comic book industry itself has a lot of juicy news, because oh. they're unaffected by that. <laughs> uh,
1: San Diego Comic-Con's kind of having to return to comics, because... Everyone's cancelled, because obviously the actors aren't allowed mm. to do promo anymore. No, nah. So
0: well, everything's been cancelled. They are allowed to go to the convention, they're just not allowed to promote any of their projects. Uh, but they yeah, have been advised... Why they're usually there. Yeah, they have been advised not to bother going anyway, uh, and there's been panels being cancelled left and right. Um, so... Yeah, so it'll be all comic book focused, which probably does suck for like a reasonable portion of the audience who bought tickets for it, thinking they were going to get a chance to at least, if not go to panels, at least you know get an autograph from, you yeah, know, the exacter, yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, if you don't act like actual comic books, you're, or merchandise, even you're probably going to be a little disappointed with the almost certainly experience. Yeah. Um, if you like going and buying some comic art, though, I'm sure you'd like. If anything, you'll have a slightly... SG4 lit...
1: you in a long time.
0: Probably a quieter crowd a little bit as well. Maybe you'll get a bit more room to breathe and manoeuvre.
3: Mm. So, that's something. Uh, but there you go. That that was the that was the one bit of news. Nothing Met- else. Metamorpho's powers might be quite interesting to see on screen. Just in a... Yeah, it could be.
0: Because he, the... he's the only one who's like... Because we've seen Green Lanterns in things before. I'll be at limited in live action, other than that one, you know, bad
1: movie. Uh, the, uh, the entire movie that they had. Yeah, but everyone wants to forget that existed, and quite rightly. Um, uh, I will say this about that movie: in terms of, in terms of its positive portrayal, I don't think it's a bad looking style for Greenland. Like you know, the, the in terms of just using constructs and, like, oh, the way it works that way, it looks fine for that. Like, sure, effects are probably a bit dated by now, but. Conceptually, I think, yeah. I hated but the, it, all, it all looked more of the same.
0: I hated the suit. I, I got the logic right. of making it out of the construct, like CG, but I thought it looked bad. That's fair. So I would have just. But the liked actual like, like the ring
1: slinging, I thought looked fine at the time. Anyway,
0: uh, uh, if that's what you can give it, that's, that's about all you can give it.
1: Yeah, you got a guess
0: look although some of the constructs didn't make that much sense it definitely had like at one point it has a flamethrower that actually shoots fire I don't like that at least make the flames green so that it's like the green energy is making like the shape of flames
2: I'm kind of torn on that one specifically with flames I'm torn on because
1: if he makes a construct and makes a fuel like a construct fuel, but it's still reacting with real oxygen. Now, see, that's that's the part of the light though. I don't think
0: you should be able to make fuel. It should be uh, like the T one thousand, right? Knives and stabbing weapons. It can go one step further, and be mechanical. It can do mechanical parts. Although that's more Jon Stewart's thing, I would say, because he's you know more tech minded. But yeah. I don't think he should be able to make anything sort of substance or fuel or anything that has properties that then can be used like that. Fair enough.
1: Everything he makes should be made of the same green energy. What you do is you get him to make the the mechanics of a flamethrower. Like, you know, the, the engineering of a flamethrower. And then you get a metamorpho to create some fuel for the inside. Oh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, you're combining someone else's powers there. That's fine. Yeah. But I like rules. And I think this is something that Silver Age, Green is like, really guilty of, is he'll just make things that are, like, it's just magic. It, it just makes anything. I'm like, no, no. Rules. Like, he creates... He's got energy to create shapes and objects out of. He can't magically suddenly become like, you know, anything. Whereas if you've got like a, a firestorm or a metamorpho, yes, they can actually create matter. They can create yeah. and transmute and things like that. So
1: that's fine. But uh, that's just my, uh, my Green Lantern pet peeve. <laughs> I'll be honest, I could not have told you he made a flamethrower in that movie for the life of me.
0: I only remember it because I remember thinking a lot, because at one point there's like a racetrack <laughs> thing and it's like a bunch of goofy oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I
1: very vaguely remember
0: that. It definitely went goofier, but I remember the flamethrower because it was in one of the TV spots of the trailers and I remember being like, oh. And I remember it, my my enthusiasm dampening before the
1: movie <laughs> because I saw him make a flamethrower. I, I want to, but uh, I've not seen this movie since it came out. Not but have I. No. I, I, sheer memory here. It, it could be way, way, way worse than I'm even giving it the mildest credit for.
0: But I think it looked okay, Constructs. Yeah, it is funny, though, that was still after the start of the MCU. That's how long yeah, the like MCU's 20... been going. Right?
3: 2011,
0: that came out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just funny, like, the, the things were started and then failed and then were rebooted again
3: in the same time that the MCU's been running. Uh, just, just... I don't know. It shows you how long that's been going. Doesn't feel that
0: long. But...
2: Maybe too long.
0: I mean, I think that's a, that's a fair statement at this point. Um, can't say I've watched any. I, I saw an article when I was looking for news, actually, on Newsarama that said, Secret Wars, or there's no Secret Wars, sorry, Secret Invasion. invasion. Uh, Secret Invasion has finally had its stride in episode four. and all Of I could, six. <laughs> yeah, in my head, I just went, Of six. <laughs> 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 I'm not so sure. I would agree that that's hitting your stride as much as just it's a bit better in the back half.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's rough. If also, was... you, you what you just did then and called it secret wars <laughs> when we were recording the TV news and I was talking about it. I almost called it secret wars every single time.
0: <laughs> it's all, It's also. Uh, yeah, if it was if it was episode four of twenty two, that's sure. fine. Yeah, hit your stride. That's fine, but. Even
1: even four of like thirteen, I can get behind. Sure. That's a weak first act, right? But the rest of it,
0: it's it is telling though that the only time I've seen Secret Invasion discussed is when I'm looking for news on Userama and they've got a hundred articles about
1: everything in it. <laughs> yeah, like I said in the, the TV it. news, I've seen the uh, the uh, the AI nonsense for the intro from the first episode. I'm assuming it's still on every episode, they didn't change it, I just haven't heard any more about it since the first episode. And the reveal in the last episode. That's mm. the only two things I've seen about the entire show. Yeah. And no one cares about it.
0: Yeah, I've seen no one talking about it. Uh, it's not just that these Marvel shows have stopped being an event, they've almost went into negative event status. <laughs> <laughs> they're just kind of there, and they're, they're a chore for anyone who wants to keep up with everything. Uh... Because I did see some people talking about uh, how, like, part of the problem with all these shows that they've added for the MCU, which they're apparently cooling down on, but they've got so many are already kind of, you know, in the pipeline, is that a lot of people just watched the movies and were never interested in, like, adding more. Like, doing two or three movies a year, people were happy to keep up with that. Um, but there's actually stuff in the shows, like, the, the the big example from the last year or two was... Uh, like one division was actually very important for understanding a goddamn thing about uh, Doctor Strange too because the entire like antagonist plot of that was all um, coming straight from what that. What
1: I understand again having seen neither of the two things I'm about to reference uh, the animated what if stuff actually ended up tying in pretty heavily to Doctor Strange as well.
0: Ah, uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't think you needed to have seen that because I saw Doctor Strange too, and it just, you know, it's just multiverse
1: bollocks, right? Yeah. But you, you, you were already aware of things that happen in What If just by nature of the circles you run in. Guess a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, like, I think mean, that compared to an average person on the street, you probably knew more about that show than than they did.
0: I probably just understood what multiverse was. Maybe that that probably helped as well. Yeah. Um, Maybe that was just enough preparation and nothing else. Um, Honestly, though, like uh, the word multiverse has become so tainted. Though, if I if I if I'm looking at any sort of comic book story or movie and they mention the multiverse, instantly I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, there was a whole reaction
1: to it. Like, uh, I think it was last week or the week before. Where they announced that in uh, season two of Invincible, there's going to be a uh, multiverse mm. stuff, and people were like, oh, I'm so sick of this, and everyone was like, you know, in response, like, this is a story arc from like over ten years ago. Like, it, it, this is not their fault. They're, they're just adapting the thing that was already there before this was a big boom.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, it's it's very tiring. It's well, it's become kind of a, just a, an excuse to like just throw in anything you want. You know, like the last Spider Man movie, we can throw in the other Spider Man. Um, you know, with the Flash movie, we can have Batman Eighty Nine
1: back. We we can throw in everything basically,
0: from yeah. what I gather of that movie. Uh, and it's just a, and and it's just and a lot of these things to do that. Uh, if it's I a story, Invincible will not be that. <laughs> no, because that that was a story. It was just written as a multiverse story, self-contained in its own ongoing plot. Uh, much like Everything Everywhere All at Once was a multiverse movie, but that was the just the entire idea was that it was exploring humans by showing different versions of the same character. It was never trying to tie into something else or being a cheap excuse I,
2: to I will say
1: the, um, the absolute cameo. worst parts of Across the Spider-Verse are the two or three little cameo things they have in there. Mm. By far, those are the worst elements and there's not much of them and they they probably amount to like Less than a minute's total screen time in the whole movie. Well,
0: they couldn't but you resist could
1: take them out. You could take them out, and it'd probably be a better movie.
0: They couldn't resist. They couldn't resist the cheap plop. pop, plop. The cheap pop is what yeah. should
1: I say. Maybe it felt like a plop. Yeah, maybe a bit of a plop.
0: <laughs> All right, let's let's get into the comics. Uh, we'll start with Night Terrors, Issue One. Joshua Williamson writing with Casper Wingard and Giuseppe Camunculi on the art. Uh, two very different art styles. Uh, I definitely did a double take when I I changed from one to the other early on in the issue. Um, I thought they were separating them, but with like an idea for a bit, and then it kind of just gave up on that. And so then, yeah, uh, there's a third artist as well. it always a third uh, artist.
1: Yeah, Stefano and Nessie.
0: Well, uh, just adds to what I was saying then, I guess. because uh, yeah. the first artist I really liked. So it starts off with Dead Man. Sort of doing like a, a talking to the audience bit, and he's sort of recounting
1: his. I think that's Wingard from what I've seen of their stuff before. It's 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 scratchier inks than what I've seen of their work before, but it it could be there.
0: It, I I felt like it fit the uh, you know the the nightmare tone, the you know, the, the the horror vibe that you might be going for here. Uh, it was very moody. It's just you know his red suit sort of clashing with the dark inky background. You know I really like that. Um. So, yeah, as I said at the start of the show, this is called Night Terror's Issue 1, but let's be clear here, this is part 2 of the story. Part 1 was Night Terror's First Blood Issue 1, which was last week. Why they didn't just call it Issues 1 through 5? Because it worked for Rambo, so why not them? Uh, Well, very good. No, I... I, for some reason, I think DC have a problem with having an issue one be a bigger page count. They feel the need to like name it something else so it's like a special for a bigger page count before they go to the regular page count. And it's frustrating.
1: It might be
0: yeah. Yeah, which is weird because I don't think they need to do that. I think it'd be fine just to have an issue one that's, you know, 40 pages or whatever that last issue was.
1: Marvel have been doing that for about a decade.
0: Yeah, but for some reason, DC are like, no. And at the very least, make it an obvious title that makes it clear that it's important. Like, call it... Night Terror's Prelude. So at least it's like okay, that's obviously leading at, into at least
1: I will uh, give them the the Alpha and Omega stuff. At least you knew what they were. Yeah, right? yeah. You got you got a sense of you. You get what they are. So yeah, that that would be the
0: complaint. And you know, you weren't here last week. I mean, me and Matt were like we actually quite like the concept of what it was doing, the setting up. We thought Insomnia was a bit lame looking. But the actual idea of him hunting for this, you know, secret stone, the Dr. Destiny hidden in a nightmare of a hero, and that's why he's plunged everyone to sleep. You know what? Not a bad idea. Like that it seemed to be setting up Dead Man as the main character. Um, And I suspect you're about to get very negative, so I will start with my positive, is that I actually quite like this issue. Now, I said this last week, and I'll say it again here. I know that Joshua Williamson's probably going to let me down by the time this is over. I know that because he's done it a lot to me. But I liked Deadman being the focus. I liked being him trying to figure out what to do. I liked uh, him getting into his backstory so we can connect to him a bit more. And I liked where the issue went. I liked that his plan was to use some leftover Lazarus rain to resurrect the Sandman, Wesley Dodds. And the big ending cliffhanger of this issue is zombie Wesley Dodds coming to help, you know, Man. Solve this problem and save the world. All these ideas, I'm into. I thought this issue was better paced because it was obviously a regular-sized issue. Um, It wasn't as bloated as that first one. Uh, we got rid of Insomnia off the page quite early on. The art is very inconsistent, though. I think that's a yeah. fair critique. I you know, asked why I opened with that because it, it really stuck out to me. Because uh, it's not just that it's different, it's that they're very different styles when it switches. Um, But I will say and this doesn't really go necessarily for all the tie-ins, but the main issue, issue one, I actually quite enjoyed this week. I think there's potential here with the slight asterisks that Williamson Williamson. (laughs) has let me down as we get into the back half of whatever his story is before. So I'll keep that in mind, but I'm actually feeling quite positive on this particular issue. How are you feeling?
1: Um, not positive. (laughs) See, I knew, I knew, I knew. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Um, Okay, part of it is not just this issue. Part of it is the event as a whole, because it's it's all well and good saying, oh, this issue is this and that, but it's not in a vacuum, right? They are publishing all of these books, and they compound upon each other. Well, so, okay, no, I, I
0: agree and disagree with that. I agree for any other book you could bring up from this, I would agree. I do think there's a slight difference when you're talking about the main...
1: Event book oh, versus I'm gonna, all the tie ins because I did the reference a... It in a very specific manner, though. that That is what's getting to me. It's the um, again, like say, okay, you know, they're compounding on each other. That's I can almost put that to the side mm-hmm. because it is the main book, but like I say, oh, this, this is dealing with Deadpool's history, not Deadpool. It, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> you, you filth, get that Marvel wow. filth out of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, where the hell that came from? Uh, Dead Man's background, his origin and stuff, and that will be fine. But at least four or five of the other tie-ins are already dealing with characters' origins and backstories. So it's compounding into... Even even though this is the main book and this is the one that should get the priority, this is the second week. So there was already at least at least one or two of those last week that dealt with characters' origins. No, no, that is the problem with the
0: tie-ins for sure. I, I think with this, I like that it spends a couple of pages on his, his backstory because he is the protagonist of this story. And he's not a character who you know, has a lot of ongoing books, right? Yeah. He's had a couple of miniseries since the start of Rebirth. I think it's fair play. I actually especially like how Williamson wrote some of this stuff here at the start. Um, When he talks about not hearing the gunshot that killed him, just hearing the gasps, I actually thought that was a really nice little uh, line. Uh, mm-hmm. And it sort of... It, it made me think of Dick Grayson a little bit and how, like, Dead Man's from a similar world, but his experience is very different. Um, It's almost like he could be, like, Dick Grayson's father and, like, he's on the other end of it where he was the one who was killed. So it's kind of, like, an interesting comparison oh, yeah. I uh, see that. between them. Um, so I, I thought that was good, uh, and I think it's it setting up, um, you know, his backstory with, uh, you know, because it mentioned you see Sandman in one of the two-page spreads, like, in the middle of the issue, and then, like, and, and, I, and I do appreciate, as much as, you know, none of us were that into Lazarus Rising as a, as a thing, it was just kind of a, a little, you know, mini-event blip on the radar. Um, I do appreciate the ongoing continuity and that actually having, like, a... Because part of this issue as well is setting up who insomnia is, and I was rolling my eyes a little bit when Insomni is like, I am a god of dreams. So I really appreciated that just a couple of pages later, it's like, no, he's a dude who was activated by Lazarus Rain. He's not actually inherently important. He's just, you know, got delusions of grandeur, and he's, yeah. he's aiming for higher. And that's all fine. I do think he looks... Ins- Sounds a bit kinda you know, they're going for this almost like trickstery kinda like mentality to him when I feel like he should be scarier. Yeah. But at least if he is just a normal dude, dude's so delusions are like grander, that personality makes more sense to me. If this was actually some sort of god of some kind, I'd be like, he should be way more, I don't know, like omnipresent or something. You know, more ethereal, less
1: like talky, <laughs> basically. <laughs> But it's interesting. I, I I don't mind petty god characters. I've seen that uh, in a few places before. That can be kind of fun.
3: Oh yeah. Either but... way,
1: he's he's still not interesting here. And and uh, that's like the other side for me is that I don't think the central premise is that interesting. or good, f- I, I it's boring. Like I find like mo- oh. almost everything in the main book. I found like the main book aside, like uh, just uh, first blood and this aren't even that bad. I don't think they're they're terrible issues. I don't think they are they are far from the worst of the Night Terrors issues I've read so far. But they're bland and boring. I don't think that they're, they're very interesting either. And um, and that's,
0: I th- so that's yeah, kind of a problem. I think ultimately I can just disagree with that.
1: Yeah uh, that's that's I, what I'm I'm willing to accept that's just yeah, a taste one uh, as opposed to a actual Flaw,
0: because i I enjoy the premise i enjoy the setup i enjoy dead man using batman's body as like a you know a conduit whilst batman's in nightmare land um i think that's good fun uh like him you know he has these little quips about how oh shit like batman can actually do all this like parkour because obviously he's a a circus act as a trapeze artist and stuff uh dead man goes to pull off these moves but of course batman's actually someone who does all this type of movement anyway so he's like oh shit like this is like one of the first bodies I've ever jumped into can actually like physically take what I'm going to make it do. Uh hmm. you know. So I you know, I appreciated those little beats and um I, I do think the overall story is is interesting and the, the premise of it is fun to me. It does tease that there's a few heroes that are still awake. Uh, you see Red Tornado and Zatanna, who come up in her book, uh, that we'll get to later. Um It says up the entire world's been knocked out. Um and I and I enjoyed the art in the last couple pages with uh you know, Wesley Dodd's hand coming out of the crypt. Uh you can see the tombstone, the rain, he hands him the gas mask, and then that final page of uh the zombie zombie Dodds <laughs> as I'm gonna call call Um It's a it's a look. Yeah, I'm into it. I had fun with that. I also appreciate how the moons kinda get a face in it, if you look at that page again. There's kind of like a a skull quality. Nah oh, yeah,
1: government. yeah, I'm gonna see it.
0: Um Plus, the green smoke uh, from the Lazarus just uh, contrasts nicely with the Purple night background. So I think it's,
1: it's worth knowing that I have no problem with any of the art individually. Yeah, I think fair. collectively as a whole, it's a bit of a mess in term, artistically because it is just a hodgepodge of three different artists thrown together. None of them are bad artists. In fact, I would say individually, they're all good artists.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my taste leans more to one or the other, but yeah, I don't think any of them are bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah, again, I objectively like all of them. It's just, it doesn't really mesh very well as an issue.
0: No, it's kind of strange, because at first I thought they were separating, like, okay, so when it's Dead Man, like, talking in flashbacks, we're going to get this one artist, and then the other artist will be in the present day stuff. But they kind of gave up on that, when it kind of switched halfway through a flashback in the middle, and then obviously by the end there's a third artist introduced. So, yeah.
1: Also, I I take back what I said about that first couple of pages being Wingard. I'm a hundred percent sure now the Wingard pages are in the middle. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's that page with the uh, the stone in the center. You know where you first see yeah, uh, yeah. Wesley Dodds, Sandman, and the, the the like two or three pages after that are a hundred percent his stuff.
0: Yeah. I'm hoping I enjoy this. I think Williamson. Well, he 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 can disappoint me. I think he has fared better when the stories are a bit shorter and self-contained so hopefully this works out you know i enjoyed his like raz al Ghul, you know death story more than a lot of his other stuff so maybe this will be more in line with that for me i i do think the premise is fun i think for me where this like mini event runs into some problems and the worry i had as soon as they announced it is what a lot of the tie-ins can could be because of this because if you're dealing with nightmares you can basically just have the characters go into any situation from one page to the next with no reason because it's a nightmare and will any of them feel that fulfilling on their own and I think there's a couple this week that do feel interesting slash possibly fulfilling on their own but there's definitely a couple despite the fact that I think they're well written from like you know I think the writer's voice is good the dialogue's good but fundamentally the the actual issue just feels like a you know we're just doing this because we have to do a tie-in that, that Batman one last week was laughable. Well, I will say this though, that was at least hilarious because it was so crazy.
1: Yeah, I, obviously you had the um the pearls again. You know, the giant we've never seen the before. The
0: giant pearls chasing us down. It's what I feel like every time I get a scene with the
1: pearls. Yeah, um, but also the I, I appreciate the chainsaw man reference in that with the uh the gun demon. Hmm. So yeah, I I think.
0: I'm enjoying the main concept of it is, but the idea of going around and having a bunch of tie-ins where we see all the different heroes' individual nightmares like, is quite tiring, because a lot of them might end up feeling the same, and part of the problem with doing a bunch of nightmare stories is that unless you have a good throughline and a hook that's actually saying something about the character, it will just feel like a bunch of random events that aren't, you Yeah, know, I connected. think If this
1: was just a five-issue mini-event without all the tie-ins... I still wouldn't love it. I'd still feel how I do with the second issue is it's it's kind of, for me at least, a bit bland, a bit boring, but not not offensive, not terrible. Yeah. But now with the event as a whole, everything that I like to read is basically stopped to do this instead. I actively kind of loathe it and resent it for existing, almost. Even, even though it's not just this this, it's not this individual book's fault, but collectively it kind of makes me kind of hate the whole event.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously I've always been on the record of not liking that all the regular books have stopped uh, yeah. for it, but um, I am enjoying the main story more than I thought I would, so I have to give some positivity where where I can find it in, in times like these. So, uh, yeah, we'll rate right, this spin issue so we can get on to talking about some of the, the tie-ins. What are you giving Night Terrors issue one? Five? Yeah, I, I think I'm going with a, a hearty seven. I, I had a good time. I like the concept. The art's very inconsistent, obviously. Um, but I, I, I love Sandman being brought into this, and um, you know, and Wesley Dodds, you know, classic GSA Sandman specifically, not uh, you know, Sandman, Sandman,
1: <laughs> not 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 Dream, yeah, yeah. Um, Which so... I will be surprised if we don't see an appearance at yeah, some point. Yeah, I could see him popping in at some Especially point. Especially given that um, so this, this, the, the, the stone in question, the Nightmare Snow, is very tied to his ruby from, you know, it's that first arc of Sandman. Uh, it's it's in that, I think it's like issue six or seven. Uh, it, it's very heavily tied to that stuff. So I will be mm. surprised if we don't see an appearance at some point in this event. Yeah,
0: that, that's the Dana issue, right? From Sandman? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Night Terrors, Green Lantern issue one, Jeremy Adams writing with Eduardo Panseca on the art. So, this is actually one of the ones that I was referring to earlier, where I think the writing as far as, like, dialogue and all that is fine. This is Jeremy Adams who's doing the current Green Lantern book. It feels like he obviously has a handle on the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual events of this issue, which is just a couple of pages in one scenario, and then we move on to a different nightmare version of something in Green Lantern's either history or potential future. I found this to be kind of a worthless... This
1: this issue is nothing.
0: Yeah. There is no no substance to this issue. It's just nightmare fluff. And I don't think all the tie-ins are like that. There's, There's a couple that I am going to be more positive on, but I think this is a really good example of one where I like the writer. I like what he's doing in the regular book. And I think the... The art is
3: solid. Yeah, I
1: I, I, realize, I think it's like the third or fourth page of the issue, maybe fifth, somewhere like where uh, he's at the fu- at his father's funeral, and it, you know the, the, the dead body comes out of the coffin. Mm. It's a full page. Just uh, uh, from a, a conceptual level, eh, eh, whatever. Right. I kind of don't really. It's like I said, it's, it's a nightmare. It's all meaningless. But just from an art level, it'll look kind of nice.
0: I think the thing with this type of story is that when you typically do this in a regular story where you have like a nightmare issue or something like that, it's because thematically it ties into what the character's been going through anyway. And there's, I mean, it's only been two issues admittedly of the, of the this run, but nothing in this feels like it's tapping into something that Jordan's, you know, worried about or going through in the main story. That would make it feel a lot more worthwhile. That would make it feel like- it's.
1: It's issues like this that make me resent the event for taking away the main book because it feels like it's just a waste of time for two months.
0: It's, it's just fluff. There's no denying that. You know, it's, it's him. You know, seeing this horrible vision of his his father coming and, out of his coffin. Uh, then it goes into Carol being mad at him, uh, which leads to him landing next to Abin Sur. But in this nightmare, Abin Sur is sucking the willpower out of him to fuel himself.
1: Yeah, and it's it's hard to blame Adams. Like, yes, he wrote this. Oh yeah, issue, I, I don't blame him at all. It's clearly because he was told you have to write something, and he had nothing for this because he he had a story mapped out. He'd obviously pitched his story; they'd approved it. He'd started work on it, and then they went, "Oh, by the way, two issues of Nightmare Fuel, please." <laughs> and he went, "Oh wait, well what?" what? Yeah, the
0: the only minorly interesting thing that kind of happened in this, just from a, like, meaning behind it kind of way, is that when Abansur is sucking, like, energy from him via the ring that Hal's now wearing, is that Hal cuts off his finger to get rid of the ring. And I thought, okay, at least I can see, like, this idea that there's a deep fear in Hal that, the ring in a in a way has kind of ruined his life, and the, it has sucked everything away from his life. Like there is like a a little bit of meaning there that you can gleam from it. I can see what yeah, he's going for.
1: you can. But then, literally, the very next page, he's just got the ring and he's talking to the guardians. Yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. Another scene all over again.
0: That that, that was the, the thing is, and honestly, seeing Hal next to the crashed and Sur again. It's, yeah, it's, not, kind of like the it's not quite at Pearl's level yet, but it's it's verging on that. Like The amount of times we've seen that moment of Abin Sur sitting in that crashed ship is getting a little on the comical side. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to say I instantly hate you, your book, if you put in that scene or a callback to it, but Tread... Fred, lately.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, At the end, it's all oh, his greatest nightmare, you know, next time parallax. And I'm like, almost like, okay, maybe there's something to do in that next issue because parallax is a very personal fear for him, mm. right? He, he has that history. But then I saw how this issue tapped into all of Hal Jordan's history so far, and I'm not excited.
0: Yeah, the clifffire was a bit of a dud for me here just because, like, uh, you know, this entire scenario at the end where he's, he's in. Onewa, he's with the Guardians and Kilowog and stuff. And then obviously, oh, Parallax is coming out of the battery and that's the cliffhanger. I'm like, you know, we just cut to this random scene after other scenes that didn't connect to it. Like, I don't feel any through line that makes me excited for where this is going. So, you know, like we said, I don't blame Jeremy Adams here at all for this issue. I think he was told to do Nightmare stuff for two issues, it didn't fit into his run in any way, shape, or form, so he just had to come up with something.
1: I think there's a there's a slight critique of him as a work for hire writer in that he couldn't come up with anything to on demand, right? In in that that's part of the job description to some extent. I think, and I would, I would like say within reason. With yeah, yes, but ultimately, like, say, you know, it's it's like a uh, i'm I'm giving him ten per cent responsibility like he could have done better he could have he could have thought of something better that's part of the job, but the other ninety per cent is editorial forcing him to do something that he clearly had no plans for was outside his pitch was outside his job scope when he yeah you know, when he took the role yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just not good
3: yeah it's a, that's the thing it, it, the
0: art's good I I think his, his voice for Tal and everything it reads smoothly
1: it's just it's just nothing, <laughs> nothing. The, the, the basic <laughs> craft like say of the dialogue and the flow is fine
0: yeah all that's good all the technical qualities of a comic book are perfectly good Uh, if not even great in some places arguably but is a great artist yeah but the actual meat and potatoes of like what is happening what is the point of it it just feels like a work it's just like We're going to do that thing that those big anniversary issues do by doing significant moments of Hal, Hal's life, except we're just going to make them shit
1: (laughs) because they're evil now. What it is, is is he was like, what do I do? And he took inspiration where everyone takes inspiration in times like these clip shows of a network TV.
0: Yeah, yeah, effectively. And don't forget... he's, he's just gone like, right, like greatest hits, slap them together, change them up a bit. Since Green Lantern normally has a backup, so does this. That that seems to be the case for all these Nightmare books. If it's replacing a regular book that has a backup, it will also have a backup. Uh, so here... So that's that's why this book needed more <laughs> mediocrity. So here we get this story about Sinestro. What's interesting about this, at least, and it's the only interesting thing about it, is that there was that tease in issue one that Sinestro was hiding on Earth uh, amongst people and this is the first time I've seen that be followed up on so that was like you know for like one couple of like panels at the start of this I was like oh this is interesting to see this again at least and then it just kind of you know I really hope this isn't what that was seeding I don't think so I I think this is I think this is just
1: yeah I I, I also think the same but there's just a small part of me that worries that he threw that into the first issue once he knew this was coming nah I, I think
0: he's got bigger plans for Sinestro I think this is just yeah you know, what can we do for the backup in Nightmares? Oh, we'll do a little Nightmare Sinestro two-parter. I think that's all
1: it is. And I have really nothing that's to the say. team on this as well. It's not, it's not uh, Adams writing it.
0: No, it's uh, Alex Segura writing with uh, Mario uh,
1: Foc- Focillo. Focillo. Um, given that it says the the nickname is Fox, I'm going to say Foxillo. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, so,
0: I mean, this is basically just Sinestro facing a younger version of himself who sees his older version as weak and pathetic because he's not feared anymore, and that's kind
3: of it. Yeah. There's not really much more to it. Again,
1: we already had problems with the main backup in this book for having no meat and just not enough, not in the quality sense, but just not having enough pages to do what it needed to do. This is more of the same, except now it's something we're also not interested in even more because it's just more nightmare stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have nothing really to add on Green Lantern: uh, Night Terrors. What are you rating it?
1: This is going to sound particularly harsh, (laughs) given that it's uh, the the sheer writing and art is still fine, but I think it's a three out of ten. I (gasps) think it's just a waste of everyone's time. And if you buy
2: this, wasted your money. I'm sorry.
3: It is a bit harsh. I I think the raw craft does get you a bit higher than a 3. I'm going to go (laughs) 4.5. So much higher. Well, no, because... It's
0: still
1: not good, is it, right?
0: No, uh, it's kind of a worthless story, but the raw technical craft is there. I just don't want to quite give it the 5, which I was thinking about, just because... I feel like I still have to send a message, right? I, you know, to quote the Joker, it's about sending a message. Yeah, because <laughs> all all good life decisions come from deciding to quote the Joker uh, at any given point. All right, uh, Night Terror Shazam issue one, Mark Wade writing with Roger Cruz on art. So this does suffer from some of the same things as Green Lantern. I do think it's a bit better though in a couple of key ways. Um
3: it's
0: better. yeah, I think one of the things that I liked about it, and this is really important is of like what you know what is the story saying, kind of way, but I do think this uses the idea of uh dream logic in a more intriguing way. There's a moment in this where this is an example where Mary's talking to the the foster parents about going somewhere, I think she's got an, a, an appointment with a sleep doctor and they say, oh, let's go get a cab. And the, the, the cab is like, it's like a yellow taxi, but it's limo length, right? So it's just like a weird detail. And then Mary says, why don't we just take the car? And one of the parents just responds with, well, this way we can uh, soak our feet. And that, as, as stupid as that sounds, that, the way they say that is if that's just an accepted thing when it's not, is the most realistic dream thing in any of these books this week that's the th- cuz that's what happens when you're dreaming is that there'll yeah. be something someone says in the dream that you take as fact even though deep down you know it's absurdly wrong <laughs> like the- and then they go into the taxi cab and there's
1: just like a I think even just slightly
0: off before that
1: um cuz it pl- it actually starts the sequence as if she's awake like it, it plays like it's a normal it, day
0: it, it's basically doing your uh, nightmare on Elm Street thing where she thinks she's woken up although i but do but it tells
1: it tells us immediately cuz they're like oh it's your favorite breakfast and it's all like centipedes and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's clear that she's still dreaming. I do love the idea, though. This is the thing. It still suffers from some of the overall problems with these Night Terrors books, but I think there's more fun ideas in this. Specifically this idea that she's asleep and she's in her dreams saying Shazam, and she says it enough that in the real world, and it it turns out not to be the real world, but I love this concept that she kind of mouths it like sleep talking, and she actually transforms into, you know, Mary Marvel Shazam. Um... on on the couch.
1: It's 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 presumably a subconscious trying to wake her up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I also love the tease that that's the wisdom part of her powers that are kinda like, hey, this isn't right. Like, you know, we know something's not right here. So I I thought this at least felt like it was whereas Green Lantern, like he was never aware it was a nightmare. There was no hints to him that something strange was going on. He was trying to figure it out. I think at least here with Mary, there's these little hints that there is something wrong, and the wisdom of the powers is trying to, like, help her along until like, figure it out. And I thought that was conceptually quite a good idea. Um, You know, ultimately, does the story... Like, it still has some bits that I'm not as fond of. Like, Billy in a Black Adam-looking
1: outfit it was a bit I, yeah, weird. I actually... This is one of the elements I like more. Oh, really? How the on. issue? It, it's the idea... Like, if, if this is Mary's nightmare, it's... Well, what if Billy was essentially black adam like what if he kind of fell to the dark side but also the idea that he might take the power back because eventually she's you know in the
3: dream she's
0: saying shazam and it's not working because he's he's like that's my magic word. like you know
1: you can't use that anymore uh so he's the one that's worthy and not her right i I think that i I still don't think it's a great issue i think this is one of the better ones by far yeah Uh, i think it uses the dream logic in a there's still, like a way to jump around scenes because, like, you know, it gets to the end of the, the sequence in the taxi, and there's like, you know, she she saves it off a cliff, it's normal length now at this point, but she saves it from falling off a cliff. And they're like, Oh, well, we've got to take you to appointment. And she's like, Never mind, I'm already here. There's, there's, it's still Dream Logic, but it uses it in a, a more co- coherent way for a story, I would yeah. say, as opposed to just cutting every
0: scene. And there's even that page where it implies that this whole Shazamming in her sleep's happening every day. And it's like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, Like, I think this one has a lot more little fun ideas and it's trying to use the, the you know, the, the boundaries of what this is supposed to fit into. In an interesting way to actually say something about the character. And I think part of what's helping it as well is that Wade chose to do this with Mary instead of Billy, and say, you know what, the main book's about Billy right now, so I'm going to use this as a chance to tell a little story about Mary's fears. And it feels like we're actually learning something, you know, basically new about Mary. Like, you know, these fears are kind of interesting because we don't really talk about them that much, and maybe I'm sure there is some old issues somewhere that maybe tap into this, but this doesn't feel like retread ground that we go over all the time, so... Seeing that Mary's a little scared that, you know, one day Billy could just take the powers back and she won't feel as important anymore. um, You know, as, as, as an interesting concept and it adds something to her character. It feels like it's it's expanding the character it's talking about. So I think that just even just that choice of saying, no, what, Mary's going to be the main character of these two issues instead of Billy, uh, so that I'm saying something about another one of the family members uh, before maybe she becomes more prominent later on in Israel run or, or whatever the, the plan is. But either way, I think that was a smart choice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she goes to the, the place for the appointment, um, and sure enough, Evil Billy's there and ties her to a thing. And then the other thing I liked about this issue is how shockingly kind of dark it gets at the end. So Evil Billy in the Black Adam outfit has Mary tied to a you know a table or whatever, and he brings in Freddy, and he kneels down next to Freddy and says Shazam, and Freddy gets struck by lightning, and looks like he gets set on fire, until he's just a pile of bones, and then he brings in, you know, Eugene, he brings in the others, and one by one, seemingly just, <laughs> sets <laughs> strikes them with lightning, by saying Shazam, and it's this torturous thing, Mary's watching her family members, all be murdered by Billy, uh, which again, could tap into the fear of like, you know, maybe one day this power is going to like, consume them all, and you know, uh, like she, 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 this, she, she has to protect them all, so she feels that
1: she's responsible for protecting I think them. This issue, more than most, is really heavily dependent on its second issue, actually delivering on some of these things it's tapping into. Because sure. we're reading into this, saying, "Oh, it's it's touching on maybe this fear and that fear." I think it, if the second issue kind of just brushes it under and becomes an ac- action sequence. Oh well, yeah, that will be a disappointment. That I, that really kind of takes this back down. I think right
0: now, I'm feeling quite positive that it won't just do that, just because I feel like these things aren't just, like, one little moment we're reading into. I think he sets mm-hmm. some of these things up earlier on, and then expands upon them by the end. So even if issue two is maybe a bit more action-focused, it, these feel like ideas that he's intentionally trying to make us think about, rather than just, it's just fodder for whatever we're doing next.
1: I agree. And I think, uh, just to Compare this to some of the other books. Uh, this is where I said on on Greenlight, I said uh, I didn't blame Adams entirely, but he held like some blame because his his job as a writer for hire to kind of you know come up with something. I think this is where Wade is showing his experience uh, in bit, the industry, and yeah. in he's he's told you've got to do this, and he's like, all right, fine. Like I guess I you know, knocked I, something out.
0: I think picking Mary as the main character of this was a big help because it's it's letting him explore a character that he's not as you know looking at in the main book right mm-hmm. now, and maybe yeah maybe obviously maybe get a bit old if every book did that, but maybe that would have helped Green Lantern. Maybe if it was Carol's fears instead of Hal's for a bit or or something, you know, or maybe even just make Sinestro the main story and do a Sinestro fear thing and explore what he's up
1: to, especially as sinestro and fear are so inherently tied and mm. i mean even greenland like hal and fear they're, they're so intrinsically tied and they have been for decades that that feels like a waste of opportunity um this one Lizard, i think it's way just showing his experience and in in the field and just knowing that when he's got to churn out a two-issue story he can do that on command and it still be passable compared to maybe some other writers yeah
0: um, and obviously, yes, Sinestro did get the backup in Green Lantern, but if it had gotten the full book to actually explore and tell a proper story out of it, it might have actually said something meaningful. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: no. Um, this here, I, think, I think the art's a lot weaker here than in some of the other ones. Um, oh, really? I'm, not, I, I, a, I'm I, I, not a big fan of Cruz. I don't like his faces.
0: I think it works well enough. Um, I do think Cruz's faces can be a a, a little off. Like it's he's, very early 2000s. Yeah, which I don't mind per se, and I-, I think he does come across as a slightly weaker. Is because it- Cruz was put on the Batgirls book after uh, Jorge Corona had been on it, and he did feel like a bit of a downgrade. I-, I I can see why they would put that yeah. on there though. Um but I, I I do think it works well enough um in the context of this. I think at the very least, even if you don't love his faces, they're definitely expressive and get across like
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't think they're like objectively like bad. They're just maybe not to my tastes. I don't really like it as much. It reminds me a lot of I don't know, like the uh the early Johns JSA stuff, but not as strong for me. But stylistically it's very much in that early two thousands realm and that's that's just not my favourite style of art. Yeah, so after after Darla is burned (laughs) at the end, uh,
0: Billy leans in and whispers Shazam into Mary's ear, and that's the cliffhanger. Uh, so we'll we'll see uh how we pay off that in the next issue, but you know certainly I think this is one that I'm still very interested in reading the next issue of. So you know credit where credit is due because I do I do think at least it's saying some new interesting things about Mary, um. And we're we're kind of a little bit spoiled there because we just get that great mini-series about Mary uh, not too long ago, so she has been getting some. Spotlight. That was really good. Uh, all right, what are you given? Night Terror's Shazam. I
2: will give this one a six out of ten.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, I will go with a seven. Uh, I, I thought it was good. Uh, you know, so there still has some some sort of bits that if you, like I think. The second issue, I think, could really bring it all together and make it feel like it really had something to say, and I think that'll retroactively
1: make this one feel even better. Yeah, I, I do agree with that sentiment that the second issue is make or break. Um, it, could, it could make this issue feel higher or lower in, in retrospect, depending on if it delivers on what Also, it I think should. thematically,
0: it does kind of interestingly tie into what's going on in the Shazam book right now, because the whole idea that, at least to the kids just now, like, Billy's, like, you know, Shazam persona is kind of, like, acting aggressive and saying things and going off the wall without mm-hmm. his control. And this idea that part of the fear in the main book right now is what if, yeah,
1: what if, like... What if he ends up yeah.
0: like at Adam? So that this kind of fits into, like, what's going on in the main book as well in a weird way, too, uh, which is which is nice. So, again, yeah, again, yeah it's just Wade making a story for Mary but having it actually thematically tie into what's going on in the main book Uh, is a really good use of making the best of this tie-in situation that he's kind of thrust into. Uh, Which, much like Green Lantern, only had two issues before it it was plunged into this. So, you know, not bad. Um, Certainly, I I think this two-parter won't feel out of place in the trade with the rest of the Shazam first arc if they throw it in. They They won't. They probably won't, but it wouldn't feel out of place. No, it would definitely feel less out place than some of the others. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Green Lantern though th- that issue two ended like with the tease of nightmares, like properly with the plane thing. So uh, yeah, that's gonna feel really jarring. That said, though, maybe issue three, when it comes, all like give you a different ending to that, where he goes to the cockpit and it's just a normal plane thing. <laughs> kind of hope so. <laughs> just to just to wipe just it from existence. It never happened. <laughs> oh dear. All right. Uh, Night Terror's Zatanna Issue 1, Dennis Culver writing with David uh, Baldeon on art. So, this one's interesting to me uh, because this is not a nightmare issue. It's uh, characters who are awake in the real world whilst everyone else is asleep issue. But One of my favourite little moments from last week's tie-ins was the end of Ravager, where it was like, oh, we're seeing a little bit of the real world and that there's some people who are still awake. Uh, this here... Zatan is still awake and she's fighting off uh, these new villains that are introduced, these night like monsters. I don't know what they are, yeah, yeah I, don't know, I don't know what they are uh, which is maybe one of the weaker elements is these, that these villains just kind of feel conjured out of nowhere for the sake of having villains um, but the idea of her calling upon someone who's awake and it being Robot Man, which makes sense because he's a robot, so he wouldn't have you know, went to sleep with they everyone else to sleep, yeah uh, you know, I like that part of it, uh, and there's two characters who don't have much of a camaraderie, or much of a history with each other, you know, Zatanna's got a limited exposure to the Doom Patrol, uh, and it's not a positive one, <laughs> she's very mm-hmm. disappointed when a, when a Doom Patrol member shows up, um, like, I, I thought that was an interesting pairing, uh, I enjoyed their back and forth. I think uh, the,
1: uh, obviously Culver does the, the Doom Patrol book right now anyway, so mm-hmm. he already has a handle on Cliff. Absolutely. Uh, we, we, we've established already, I think that, translates fairly well to this book. It does.
0: Uh, and then, you know, it might vary depending on taste, but I actually quite enjoyed the art in this. It's definitely got a very cartoony style, but it's very expressive.
1: It is. I think the only thing I've seen Baldi on before, I think he's primarily a Marvel artist, and from my memory, he did the, that Gambit and Rogue book that oh, okay. we enjoyed that one time. I think that was him. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Um... So I really like the, uh, some of the layouts, though, that he does here. There's the, uh, the page when they're in the, uh, the, the labyrinth or the maze. Yeah. And it's, it uses, like, some of the passageways as the panels, but the whole page is the maze. I think that's a... F- just ignore all the writing on it and just the art, I think, is a phenomenal page in the way that's structured.
3: Yeah,
0: uh, so yeah, they're fighting these villains, they go into a secret passageway that leads to a maze, which leads to like, the magic safe room that they're trying to get to. Um, along the way, though, the nightmares uh, start to like show up around them. So basically, it conjures as dead people from their past that are trying to you know, mess with them and make them sort of lose sight of what they're doing. Uh, their ultimate way to fight this is that they basically swap who they're fighting. So Zatanna fights Cliffs, you know, you know, family members like Dorothy and things like that, uh, and uh, vice versa. Um, the the big one being Zatara. You know, zombie Zatara shows up and starts telling her that she's, you know, a disappointment that she's not good at anything, so on and so on. Um, but I think I, I definitely enjoyed this issue because I like the camaraderie between the two characters, which was nice. And also because it was set in the real world and not in a nightmare, it felt like it was a, more of a proper tie-in book, you know? Which is to say, it's got a ceiling, don't get me wrong. It's not like an amazing story, but it's it's a more interesting and like relevant slice of what's going on because it's like, oh no, these are characters in the real world who are trying to deal with this crisis that's happening as opposed to just going through a series of their greatest hits in nightmare form.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the best tie-ins so far, and I don't know how much of that is it's actually better written, and or how much of that is just it breaks the format, and it feels refreshing in comparison to the rest of them.
0: Well, I mean, I think the voices for the characters are great. We kind of said that because Culver's already writing Doom Patrol. Um, but he is, of
1: sounds good as well.
0: Yeah, but I also really like the art, so I think, like, it's yeah. it's got all the, the building blocks of a solid issue. Um... It really just kind of depends on if you care about the event at all. Do you care about what's going on in the rest of the world with characters? I I do think it's interesting though, having like a really limited amount of like list characters who are awake, whilst everyone else, whilst the Justice League and the Titans are all asleep, facing their nightmares. It is kind of interesting to have Dead Man, Zatanna, Robot Man being the the ones kind of try to keep the world in line whilst all this is going on. Obviously, at the end of the issue. Is that these uh, night demon dudes infect Robot Man and he becomes a villain for issue two? Uh, he's.
1: I like the design. He's the Rushbringer now. Yeah, apparently. I like I like the design of what they've done to him. Um, not necessarily as a as a Robot Man design, but as a this this kind of weird villainous thing, and it uh, it's taken his base form and just added stereotypical villain just shoulder spikes and stuff.
0: Yeah, I did, like, um... As this started to infect him, he said it hurt. And that, if you know if you know Robot Man, and if you've ever read any Doom Patrol, you'll know that he never feels pain. So it actually felt kind of important that he's like, this hurts. Uh, yeah. you know, it felt like it, that landed for me. So I appreciated that. So, yeah. Uh, as far as tie-ins go, this did end, end up being one of the better ones. Um... It's, yeah, you know, I guess it's called Zatanna because obviously issue 2 is, go- you know Robot Man's going to be more of an antagonist. But I was thinking as I was reading this, especially seeing the cover and seeing Robot Man with Zatanna. Um, I mean, I'm not sure you'd want to call it Night Terror's Zatanna and Robot Man. But I did almost wonder, uh, like is this tech because it's the writer at Doom Patrol? Is this technically just going to be Night Terror's Doom Patrol,
1: guest starring Zatanna? At least half of the reason as to why it's not. Is because they didn't want to stop the Doom Patrol book. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, just because that's a, a mini with its own pacing, they don't want to just interrupt that. And, and like I say, it's very
0: clear that you know, get into issue two of this, that Zatanna is the main character and is going to be the one who's trying to fix things. So yeah, you know, it, it seems fair. But just just from the cover and like the equal focus up until the end of the issue, you know, kind of feel like, oh, this is this is equally just Robot Robot Man's book as well. Uh, so I mean,
1: it's it's mainly Zatanna's. Uh POV. You have her at the start for like yeah, you know, a good for the first third of the issue before she summons Cliff. Yeah. There's there's enough there to justify it being Zatanna, I think.
0: Uh but no. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh what are you giving Late Terror Zatanna? Uh
1: I'll give it a six point five. I think it's it's probably the best these are gonna get. And it's it's probably a ceiling that it's going to struggle, unless it's an exceptional issue, it's going to struggle to break just because of how little I care about the event in general right now.
0: Uh, I'll happily throw this one a seven as well. I think this and Shazam were the the ones that I definitely enjoyed the most. Um, I actually... It's interesting to me that you
2: rated those both the same as the uh, the main issue.
3: Yeah? Like, you know, you, 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 you kind of You've
1: come into these two tie-ins and be like, I really enjoyed these the most, kind of collectively, but also the same as the as the main issue is that just that you enjoyed these more than all the other tie-ins.
0: Yeah, I mean the tie-ins more than okay. like you're specifically the main book, like because I cause I'd probably say the concept of the main story is the strongest thing about the whole event, which is why I think the the main book is, you know, yeah, you know, I got excited when Dead Man went to go see you know Dodds, uh or resurrect Dodds. I thought that was that was a good fun time. Um, Yeah, I actually went slightly harder here. I skipped over one, Uh, but we're still in Night Terrorsville, so that's okay. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Night Terrors The Flash issue one, Alex Pacnadel and Daniel Bayliss on art. Um, So... This this is an interesting one going into because I had no real familiarity with this writer. Uh, I, I hadn't really read any of his stuff before. Um... I will say it kind of falls into some similar territory as the Green Lantern book for me, and I actually, despite not knowing the writer going in, I thought the writer's voice was quite good uh, for the most part. I thought it read well and that it, you know, it flowed. All, all, all those sort of key comic book things, um, and it has more of an actual like coherent story versus Green Lantern, which is all of random scenes by comparison. Um, it still kind of felt closer to that than the other tie-ins for me this week, though, just in that by the end, I kind of felt like, okay, this story of Wally getting injured by Grodd, but we seem to be kind of in the past, or, or... Well, not really in the past, but, you know, we're in a nightmare where Wally's still a kid Flash, and he's been injured by Grodd, and Barry feels responsible, and he wants to try and, and fix it. Uh, By the end of the issue, though, there's something in the Speed Force that cause Wally to slowed down, and that's why he got stabbed by the Spear of Destiny. Which is fine. I, I guess one of the things, though, at the end of this issue that I felt was just, okay, there's something in the Speed Force that Barry's aware of by the end of this issue, but we know we're in a nightmare. So is this really in the Speed Force, or is this just, like, in his nightmare? Like, I, I wasn't sure about that
1: at the end. I'm going with the second. It's it's just a nightmare. Mm. um and he think he doesn't realize it's a nightmare he thinks it's part of the speed force
2: yeah but, like, i get like I, I this i say it's
1: it's similar to the green lantern book in that it's very clearly uh, a writer with with talent right yeah you know they they've got the voices down um but i i don't think there's a story here to back this up it does again it feels like it, it feels like someone got, hey, keep drafted in to write these two issues while, while there is no main writer on the flashbook, essentially, because one run's ended, the other one's not started yet.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't say there's no, it's just that the, we're just in a lucky place where the new run is starting right after this ends, so.
1: I meant there's no writer, there's no, like, primary writer to draft into writing issues in the middle of their run. Well,
0: I think the other thing is, though, is that the new run and the old run were both Wally books, and this is a, a Barry story, so it almost makes sense as well for it to be someone different anyway. That's true. Yeah. Um yeah, obviously he goes up to the watchtower at one point and there's like a sort of burned like
1: Hal there who's <laughs> had better days. Um I think It's a Hal like it's from an event I don't I don't remember reading The Final Night, but it's he's in his, his parallax outfit.
0: It's not That's the where only burned Yeah, it's not the only editor's not in this either. At one point Jay, when he's upset about Wally talks about uh something and it, it it's like hey gsa confidential number four or something classified yeah classified which, that, oh, was, that, was, that was a long time ago yeah so there's some deep pulls in the continuity uh and the editor's notes for this one uh which, which i kind of appreciate i it's i don't know this is exactly the type of issue uh it's not as i think it's a little bit better than green lantern because at least it is telling more of a direct story you know there's a through line you know Wally's injured yeah. Barry's upset about it he goes to look for the source it does feel a bit meaningless ultimately because it's all just in a nightmare but at it's least a, there's a beat-to-beat beat story in there
1: it's not particularly compelling but it is a story of some sort as yes. opposed to like i say just events thrown together like the green one. ones so i think this is better than that for sure it's better than that but i still wasn't thrilled by it and i'm not really that excited yeah. by a shooter
3: yeah i
1: just i like the art in this one
0: give it that I think it's got its moments. I, I think this, the pages with the snow look
1: really good. Uh, yeah, I think that, that final page looks fantastic.
0: Oh yeah, the final page, yeah, where he's, he's looking and there's like, something in the Speed Force. And it's, and it's a just bunch like of... this
1: distortion kind of... Like, it's, it's a really interesting effect. Yeah. Uh, actually, just the, uh, the, the not the very last page, but the page before it, the very bottom panel, uh, Barry's like running into the Speed Force and he's like stretching into it and it's I don't know it looks really great hmm
0: yeah it's a weird one Uh, I think this doesn't overcome it's tie in like stigma uh, sadly but it's not as bad as the Green Lantern one uh, no which, did. which I feel is
1: bad. I feel I feel bad saying that though, because again, the craft and the Green Lantern one's fine. It's just it's so it's. I think that's particularly disappointing as well, because that was probably one of the ones who we were more excited for going in, as excited as you could have been, given the the context. But knowing that, hey, we really enjoyed those first couple of issues. This is the same writer. Maybe this will feel more relevant to the actual run as opposed to just these tie in issues. And then it was that. There was probably more disappointing. It's because probably of that. it's
0: probably the least relevant to its book <laughs> out of all the tie-ins yeah. so far. Uh yeah. Anyway, uh yeah. Night terror's Flash is just kind of a nothing thing, to be honest. I I just I kind of felt empty at the end of it and I'm like, this all feels kind of like it just doesn't matter. And I think the only way you can make stuff that your know, stories that take place in a nightmare matter, if you're not going to do anything where it connects to the real world is that it has to thematically link to whatever the character's going through. And a couple of them are kind of trying to tap into that, or in some cases, like we say, Ravager, it's kind of doing something new with the character, and it's a character who doesn't usually get as much attention, so it's, a, it's inherently more interesting, and that kind of goes for
1: Mary to a point as well. Um... Whereas but, this it's so, in, in terms of Barry's fears, it's, oh, Wally's injured, ah, something wrong with Speed Force. It's so generic surface level fears.
0: It's almost like the bigger characters, Green Lantern, Flash, and maybe Superman and Batman have this as well. They're almost suffering more because I'm like, we've explored all these oh, fears. Batman definitely suffered, we saw the pearls. <laughs> we've explored these things so many times at this point that they're suffering more. Uh, whereas you know someone like Mary, so oh, this is actually new. This is like new material.
1: Um, I I assume you didn't read it. Maybe Matt did, but the, the poison ivy one. Oh, Matt did, yeah. Yeah, not good, not good. That was also the same problem of like it, that was the same writer, and yeah, you know, I've been enjoying that main book a lot, so I was really excited for it. Mm. And then it was just twenty pages and nothing.
0: Um, I don't remember what Matt said about it, because I'll be honest, I didn't listen you to a single word yeah. that he was saying, but...
3: Uh, yeah, well, uh,
1: you, To be honest, you could have read the book and still just tuned out and got the exact same experience.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Alright, what are you rating Night Terror's Flash issue one? I'm going to give it a four. I don't think it's the worst. It's still not great. I think for, this is a five for me. This is like straight down the middle. The craft is good. It's telling a story. It's just nothing about it feels important or like it's worth my time. Uh, will I read the second issue? I might still, just depending, you know, if I'm not reading the Green Lantern one next month.
1: I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. How many of these issue twos I read depends entirely as to whether or not I'm free for the week or the show. If I'm not free for the week and I have to then catch up on it later, <laughs> I'm never going to read them. Because I, even, even like the best ones that so far, like, you know, like the Shazam or the Zutana one which is clearly the best two of this week so far. Well, I mean, I'm
0: definitely going to be on the show so... Uh...
1: Right, right, but For me, like those two, like, they, they were clearly the best. If I'm not here and don't have an obligation to read them mm, I don't know if I'm going to.
0: Just the main book then for catch-up purposes if that's what the occasion calls for. Probably, yeah. Uh, do you say it'll be here
1: next week though? Yeah, but those are going to be next month.
3: No, I know. I'm just saying.
1: You, you got to yeah, yeah, I'll be here next week for the main book, obviously, and whatever tie-ins are here next week. But for the next issues of, like, the issue twos of some of these books.
3: I know. I'm just like saying. The, like, we're yeah. talking.
0: Like, you're not going to be reading any more Night Terrors. But you're here next week. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I, I'm
1: going to be reading more Night Terrors, especially all the issue. Oh, I'm going to try most issue ones, obviously, and I'm going to read the main book probably throughout because it's only a couple of issues. But the. The tie-ins, the issue twos, that's where I'm like, well, if I'm not here and I didn't already love the first issue, I'm probably not going to bother.
0: Yeah, yeah. alright. World's Finest Teen Titans issue one, Mark Wade writing with Emanuela Lupacino on the R. So we're at Night Terrors and we're into some regular books. This is the start of a new series. Uh,
1: still set in the... Semi pseudo silver age past of the DCU. Yeah, it's so weird how much like social. But, like, they start but talking but about influences. They start talking about hashtags like two pages in, and I'm like, what? this is weird. This is supposed yeah, to be from the th- 60s. Th- there's a little bit of this that feels like, to me anyway, as Mark Wade's too old to be getting this. (laughs) And I mean that as someone else who also feels too old to be talking about most of this stuff around younger people at work. Don't don't get me wrong. This feels like old man not quite connecting.
0: Maybe there's a lot about that. Don't get me wrong, like, some of these characters, if they were this age now, would they be into this shit? Yeah, probably. It doesn't feel unreasonable to say that. But, like, in my head, these characters... Uh, these ages are something from the past. And yes, there's always the sliding scale of
1: like time moving it's, forward, but it's not even that that's the problem for me. It's more the specifics of how it's handled. Hmm. Like okay, like okay, there there is a little bit that it's a bit weird, but I can get past that. It's more the just the actual dialogue of it feels a bit a bit forced.
0: Okay. Uh said i quite enjoyed this issue aside from i, I did as well aside, aside from the social media referencing uh that feels a bit weird it I actually quite was into
2: there,
1: it. there was stuff immediately like that I was like oh i see where this is going and i like it uh like for example on the very like i think it's the second page it's you know it says kid flash and then in brackets why not speedy and it has all you know it has an introduction for all the characters like that because it's the first yeah. issue so it should um but as soon as it said why not speedy i was like oh I know exactly where this joke is gonna go and I'm here for it. And then it was like three or four pages later where it introduces Roy. And it says, you know, you know, Roy, it's speedy. And they just put brackets. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Like, I I I'm
0: here for it. Yeah, it introduces that Donna and Aqualad are in a relationship of some kind. Bumblebee's the tech one. And they're just you know, they're they're at the end of this fight. It's just a simple monster fight and then Robin's getting a little annoyed that Roy is, you know, he's recorded everything on his phone. He's live streaming it. <laughs> he's live streaming it, yeah. Um, and there's it, it, actually some smart stories. This is the thing Mark Wade's experience we were talking about during the Night Terror's book. There's little things here that are really good. Where it, it there's a section in the middle here after that opening where it cuts around all the characters talking to their their mentors, right? You know, so you have got Wally talking to to barry you got donna talking to to diana so on so on right and it does this there's two really smart touches it does here one is that earlier on when they were all together um roy was basically saying oh i'm rich i don't need to get jealous you know me me and oliver are, are tight and he, he, he brags a little bit about how good and oliver him are and how he's trained from his archery and all that and then during this this thing where it's cutting around them all and it goes back and forth a little bit you see well, it looks like Roy
1: talking to Renato. I was really glad that this went the way it did because the very first like panel where it had them talking, and you just—it's like, like the back of Oliver's head. It's like this, like a hood. I'm like, this is really weirdly framed. I'm like, what? This doesn't feel like yeah. what's going-? like it. Stood it stood out yeah, to me immediately. But it's intentional because
0: then it turns out that he's not talking to Oliver. And the sad part of this is that. Oliver has no time for him, so he's pretending it's a character, yeah, so it, 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 it pays off because it's set up that he was bragging about how good his relationship was with Oliver earlier, so that was a really smart little touch, and then the other thing that was really good here is you know when it cuts to Batman and Robin, um, we don't know exactly what they're talking about, but Batman is just saying no to him, and he doesn't trust the teen Titans and it turns out later what you're say no to is Robin revealing who he is to the rest of them, and that is like one of the, the main you know points of this issue is that robin's getting frustrated as a leader because they're you know they're they're not taking things as seriously some of them are stopping to like showboat and when the fight breaks out they're like you know this is wally this is roy this is you know whoever um but we don't know who you are and they really throw it in his face that you know he's he's still a secret to them and that maybe they can't trust him because of that. So, and this is a, you know, there's a big fight where the art's quite good, where they're fighting a what separate man. Um, yeah. And that's all you know, fun stuff. Um, but you know, honestly, this conflict between them and it's a very early Teen Titans conflict. This is the the early days where they've been teamed for a little bit, but not too long. And Robin's not told them that he's Dick Grayson. Yeah. Yet. Like,
1: I I assume this was a thing in a lot of the early Teen Titans comics. I don't really remember it. I suspect it probably was. Yeah. I remember it. It. it I mean to be relevant-ish it was a, was a big thing in, the, in Young Justice, a TV show
0: Maybe it's something that's been retroactively put in over time because of like the, you know, the further established Batman's attitude to things and Robin's Yeah, that's
1: what I say, yeah. I'm not sure if it was necessarily a thing at the time but it definitely feels completely in character now and something that we've seen seen before, well, obviously that doesn't mean that it would it, it still makes sense to be here right now but it definitely doesn't feel like a brand new idea
0: yeah um and it's almost like in a weird way robin's kind of channeling batman a little bit with his controlling nature um and that's maybe going to be an interesting thing for him to deal with as he realizes wait i'm being kind of a dick like batman <laughs> and how i talk to all like, all my friends here uh but he's yeah. also been hindered by batman because batman's saying no you're not allowed to tell them who you are so i thought you know like right away this like introduced all the characters introduced some of the key relationships between them it gave you enough of each of them where like, yeah, okay, we've got Roy's kind of like relationship with Ollie that might come up and that's why he's kind of the way he is. It sets up the two of them might be in kind of a relationship. Um, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of all of them, but this central conflict of Robin being a bit too Batman y around them and getting pissed off at them, is like, okay, you've set up a, a conflict to resolve something that's going to bring them closer together by the time they get over this. Like, you know, there's a story here, right away. I don't feel like it's just introducing characters for the sake of having fluffy adventures. It's like, no, there's a story that we're already starting, and that's cool. And then the last page, of course... It still has,
1: as well, though, on that note, it's still, alongside establishing that, it still feels like that Silver Age fun vibe that we kind of established in... Yeah, you know, the main world's finest book.
0: Yeah, all the villains feel yeah that they fit that mold. It's very bright and colourful
1: the art, you know. Ah, uh, Lupuccino so obviously Mora is killing it on the main book. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he is the best silver agey artist. Uh in, in terms of emulating that style or at least the feel of that style. The the best of that right now still has to be Doc Shayna. Uh, yeah, Doc Shayna's unmatched. Lupuccino is making the case to be the second best at that in this book. Like She is doing a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah, and obviously it's a very colourful team. There's a lot of colours in their costumes. So when they're all standing next to each other, there's a lot of yellows, reds, greens, that kind of thing.
1: And it is important to note that it is not like emulating the exact style of Silver Age art. This is a lot more detailed for the most part.
0: No, Robin's. It's emulating the feel. Yeah, but Robin's not got the pixie shorts for a start. So you know they're definitely going for like a a modern revision of that Silver Age look, Uh, which which is fine, which is totally fine. Um, The final page does tease a villain. For for the, the series. Um basically there's some mysterious villain in shadows who's recruiting potential superpowered people. So you've got this young henchman who's like, Yeah, I worked for Two Face for a bit. I'm a little bit lucky, right? I can't win the lottery, <laughs> but I'm a little bit lucky. Uh and shit shit domino. Yeah, and basically whoever this is. Maybe it's Evil Billy Batson based on uh, what happens here. <laughs> mm. uh, but there's a lightning strike and this this guy just gets fried. And this shadowy figure just says next. So he's taking additions to build a
1: maybe an anti Teen Titans one might. Yeah, assume. the closest thing I got to with the lightning bolt is obviously you mentioned Billy Batson, but there's no Shazam dialogue, which makes me think not. The next thing that came to mind was a uh, Thunderbolt, you know, the the, mm. the genie from JSA, but not villainous. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a new villain. That said, though, Mark Wade has a very deep knowledge of DC that none of us it can will even hundred percent be someone who already exists that we've never heard of. Yes, yes. Uh, or maybe there's an obvious answer we're just missing. <laughs> it's entirely possible. It's possible. Yeah. Um. So no, I really like this. I I think it's letting Mark Wade play in like his Silver Age corner of DC, and now he's got two books to like sort of build these versions of the characters. And in, in a weird way, I think like, there's maybe more potential with this book versus World's Finest, just in that, you know, we get a lot of Batman and Superman, and I'm not saying that, you know, we get a lot of Dick Grayson, obviously, but a lot of these other Teen Titans characters, it's actually kind of unique that we have both this and Titans now running side by side. It's actually kind of a good time if you're a fan of classic
1: Titans teams, because we've got two of them now. It tells me that obviously I've been trying different Titans teams for years at this point, But the last, I mean, probably since the New 52, none of them have worked out, right? None of them have been critical or, you know, particularly hot in the sales. Mm -hmm. This tells me they've gone, all right, fine, we'll give the people what they want, and have gone back to basics on an editorial level. And I can't help but notice that's coincided with uh, a certain someone leaving DC a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, Dedio was notorious for not wanting to do anything with these characters.
1: Uh... And all of a sudden now that we've got... Yeah, multiple books with them. It helped.
0: He was the reason, in part, why Mark Wade wasn't at DC for a long time. So it's funny. And I got multiple books from him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm loving more Mark Wade books at DC. I I, I get the impression that Mark Wade does just genuinely love DC, probably more than Marvel. And it was just like
1: a, I can't work there right now because I've got. I- don't know if that's strictly true but he, he loves comics and he loves the comics he grew up with right which is I think very clear which is why a lot of his stuff has this silver agey vibe especially now in, in his later years it's kind of going back to what he enjoyed when he was younger I think. Yeah
0: but you know you look at what he's doing he's doing Superman he's doing Teen Titans you know but, mm-hmm. he, but even then he did do some of that Lazarus stuff with Robin it's like oh he's getting to write a new character that was created like yeah. Basically, I mean, I think it technically maybe had one or two things after it, but he basically stopped writing DC around the time Damien was introduced, maybe just a little bit after. So, more or less. It's kind of an interesting character for him to see writing a little bit of, because, oh, this is like part of the new guard that kind of happened after your time. Uh, But, it it
1: feels like he's maybe not 100% comfortable doing that yet, which is why he's most of his stuff is focused on the past Uh, and we're getting
0: a a spiritual successor to Birthright from Black Label with Mark Waid very soon, so
1: yeah, it it, it very much feels like in some regards he wants to pick up exactly where he left off and pretend the last 15 years didn't happen Uh, but as long as it's not getting in the way of other books I don't mind that because hey, this way we can have both right?
0: I mean, some of the best stuff DC have put out in the last few years are Black Label
1: stuff, and they're just self-contained stories that don't tie any continuity. Absolutely. They've definitely been some of the most memorable stories, and I'd hesitate to say, but probably some of the stories that will be on people's bookshelves as standalone books for the longest time. Yeah, and I
0: think when it comes to like, both worlds' finest books now, like, okay, they're doing this interesting thing where they're saying nah these are kind of being slotted into continuity we're we're kind of letting mark wade like flesh out like the early days of some of these characters a little bit and it, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe this book runs for a little bit and then he, like, he gets another one and you know maybe replaces teen titans with i don't know maybe a brave in the bowl they'll do some like flashing green Lantern stuff or something i don't know maybe it wouldn't, no. it wouldn't surprise me or maybe even more obscure characters because you know we, we all know he likes those <laughs> Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe when Unstoppable Doom Patrol is done, we'll get World's Finest Doom Patrol, and he'll because you know he did a bit of Doom Patrol and World's Finest. Maybe he'll do Silver it's a Silver Age classic Doom Patrol yeah. team.
1: No, yeah, I could definitely see that being a thing. Again, just either. like a six-issue minis here or
0: there. But we're at a point now where he's got. I mean, okay, the Black Label book's not ongoing, but he he has two ongoings and effectively rotating through many series as a third book right now. Um and this was unthinkable when we started this show, so I am delighted that Mark Wade's back in the fold and
1: Yeah. I think it's it's also it's kinda interesting that World's Finest has become almost a small sub brand, meaning mm-hmm. Mark Wade books. And specifically Mark Wade Silver Age Past style books, right? It's so you yeah, World's Finest has been a thing for decades. And we, we kinda knew what that meant. You know, it, it, well, that was the the Batman Superman team up or Maybe a Super supergirl team-up, depending on the context. But now it's neither of those. It's more just a Mark Wade Silver Age-style book, at least right now for the foreseeable future.
0: I mean, the name World's Finest does sound very Silver Age-y, so I think it fits that it's kind of yeah slotted in now. I mean, maybe you could argue that it still has to be a team-up, and that's why Team Titan still fits it, because it's still a team-up of all the different characters.
1: You could make that argument... I suspect as soon as DC want to give him a book on a solo character, but still have it set in the same style as these, they'll just use the name anyway.
0: Uh they might, but maybe that'll be the gimmick though, as it'll always have at least, you know, could be no, yeah. uh, at least two, if not a whole team of characters. But yeah, uh, but hey, I you know I'm loving I'm loving having you know three Mark Read books at a time uh, on the go. Um... He's he's one of the old guard that I'm still very much happier around, and even his weakest material tends to be very very solid and readable. Um,
2: and yeah, I, I
1: I'm probably on record as being not not negative, but the least positive about Mark Wade's current output on this show. And even I would say, even his worst stuff still, you know, At, at worst, it's been okay. Uh, most of it's been at at least good. I mean, I think World's
0: Finest. Uh, has gotten better as well as it's went on.
1: Yeah, I think I've had a little bit more ups and downs with that maybe than you have, but overall, I'd still say it's a good book.
3: Um, so no, um, yeah, good, promising
0: new Teen Titans series. Not the New Teen Titans, you know what I mean? It is a new yeah. Teen Titans series. Uh, what are you giving World's Finest Teen Titans issue one?
1: Uh, I'll give it a seven point five, and I think the art is dragging that off probably that point five.
0: I'm happy to slap that, that with it. 8 honestly. Uh, it, I enjoyed the characters, I enjoyed the conflict that it's setting up, art's really good, um, and it's it's fun to, to like do this time period for these characters a little bit, because it, it, there's this kind of weird thing with comics where a lot of the like important early days stuff is all from the Silver Age, so it's actually kind of weird to go back and read if you're not into Silver Age writing, because it's very different. Um, obviously, there's some key things that are exceptions to that. Obviously, Batman Year One updated Batman's whole origin for the modern day, and that's been fleshed out a bit. But a lot of these other characters don't have is, that.
1: Is that still Silver Age? It's more.
0: No, no, that's not Silver Age. I'm saying that replaced. Like,
3: I'm oh, saying, okay. I'm
0: saying Batman's got a more modern take on his like early days that you can go
1: and read that fills that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman definitely do. Are the, yeah. the main ones. Uh,
0: whereas there's not really, like, uh, a good Barry or Hal, say, like, modern version of their origin you can go and read that is, you know, works in a, a modern storytelling way. Um, you know? I know there was a story called Flashier One, but I would actually like a proper Flashier One, you know, that is just, here's, like, a six-issue, seven-issue mini of the origin of Barry Allen becoming the Flash. I actually think that'd be really cool,
1: but, uh... Yeah, with, with the right person on it, you know? Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating they wasted year one on that Flash story. Yeah, I just have to
0: call it something different. I mean, Superman's had like four or five good origin minis, and none of them and are called year, year one. year one wasn't one of them. No. Well, they did eventually use the name, though, didn't they, on that uh, Alan... Not Alan, uh... Miller book, wasn't it? Miller, Frank Miller, that's the name I was looking for. It's not Alamur. Alamur's a good writer. It's the one that turned out bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, you got Birthright for all seasons. uh, You got uh, even. What's the other one that's actually. Uh, Secret Origin from John. Even that one's really solid. (laughs) Everyone's got their favourite, but there's like three good.
1: You can still use Mana Seal as well if you wanted to. Yeah, that one still works. It's uh, it's probably a less popular choice at this point, but it's still equally valid. Yeah, so, so so if anything, Superman
0: and like stopped doing or like, they've done it. There's too many good versions yeah. to pick now. Like, C- you, cool it.
1: We can go on to other things. You've got, uh, obviously Green Arrow's got a year one, Batgirl and Robin have a year one each. But all, all of those are really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, Batgirl and, I've actually read Robin year one, it's one of my weird blind spots, mm, I never went back and good. read that. But Batgirl it, it, year uh, one's great, and uh, yeah. Green Arrow year one's really solid. Um... Yeah, you know, and obviously this isn't a year one, it's just, it's, it's, you know, they're already formed, but it's it's kind of nice to get a story in the early days where... You could have called this Teen Titan G1 if you wanted to. Yeah. So, it's just, it's nice because you get to explore some of those early conflicts that are always this basis for what what these characters and teams should have at their core, but it's something that almost feels kind of weird to bring up in their modern day stories, because I'm like, well, you should kind of be over this by now. You've been together for you know, years in story, never mind decades in the real world. So, uh, you know. Anywho, there you go, that's, uh, Wells Finest Teen Titans issue one. Unstoppable Doom Patrol issue four, Dennis Culver writing with David Lafayette on the art. So, this is what we'll probably refer to as the therapy issue, uh, where it's a series of, effectively, shorts, with the, the, the therapist talking to each member of the Doom Patrol and she notably taps in to five different people from the fifth dimension <laughs> who all take, like, you know, refuge in our head and like- G- Jerry for short. Jerry for short, yes, yes. We find the names of the fifth imp, all five of the imps, but it's this Jerry for short and it's the idea is they all want to help uh, whoever they're talking to without revealing things they shouldn't reveal because they know more because they're from the fifth dimension. Um, yeah. interesting concept. Um, I think this might be my least favorite issue of the book, oh, thank just, God. just purely because it doesn't really tell much of a story because of the way <sighs> it's more of just a collection of like, here's where all the characters are right now. I didn't want to be a
1: really negative one again on this episode, but I'm still sure you'll be more negative I, than I am. But okay. go on. again, not a bad issue. Let's get that out of the way. Yes, still but it's not good. It's not not a bad comic. Uh. On the scale of this particular Doom Patrol book, it is my least favourite. But the first three issues have all been great. Yeah,
0: they are still excellent, right? Everything looks great. There's a lot of great two-page sort of layouts with uh, these characters going over their history. Um, We start off with one of the new guys, um, Degenerate. I had to look at his name there because I've not learned it. Uh, But, you know, he's going over everything... Uh, that he's went through and how the Doom Patrol have helped him. Uh, it tells a little bit of a story of fighting, uh, you know, m- vegetable, uh, yeah, animal, vegetable, mineral man, and you know. Then it's Rita and she talks about being in a relationship with with Flex and how she's helped get over some of her things, um, and how she's kind of the deputy leader of the team now, and you know that sort of thing. Uh, then Larry talks about all the different changes he's went through and how like the shadow. Kinda of had a life of its own, but now it's it's kinda of left and it's just his old shadow now that is the negative spirit. It's you know he's kinda of went through this kind of change. Um Robotman, of course, talks about who he is. Uh interesting little tidbit there is that Niles has a theory that part of the reason why Cliff keeps being rebooted successfully with the different versions of his brain is that he's actually a meta-human. <laughs> and that's why his brain can take all the punishment it's taken over the years. Uh but you know it's presented as like something where there's no reason to actually believe this this is just something nails has said because cliff somehow keeps surviving it's it's an idea that was thrown in there that someone'll probably pick up in 50 years time and run with it very possibly and it almost just feels like a yeah he keeps surviving because we want cliff to survive because you know he's a character we all like um but maybe someone'll do something with it uh, down the line um it's there for your your future morrisons or wades yeah um Honestly the the more interesting part of this is probably the and then like the uh you know the, the the emotions girl what's her name again Yeah uh, good question I have forgotten her name uh but you know she talks about how she was hated by her father she had to you know, go on the run and it wasn't until the Doom patrol found her and sort of taught her how to keep her powers under control and how to use her or even her body cuz her phys- physicality is different that she you know found a home All that kind of thing. Uh, And I do like the ending. The ending's quite good, where, you know, Chief, which is one of uh, Jane's personas, goes in and is like, no, I'm not here for for a session. Even though Jane used to come for sessions all the time, she doesn't. And she's like, no, I assure you, Doctor, Jane's perfectly happy. And then we see in the final page in the art uh, a reflection of Jane looking very displeased. And this was hinted at uh, in past... Issues I think where it was like issue one or two. Yeah, yeah, Jane is in the underground unhappy that the chief's up there the whole time now. Um so I don't like this idea of like a bit of a power play where the chief character from Jane is almost hogging the controls against all the other characters' wishes. It's an interesting little thing to play with.
1: Uh so yeah. you know, I like I think, that. I think it's uh this is an issue that I would like a lot more in an ongoing than I do in a mini, if that makes sense. I think that's um, a
0: really interesting thing about this book. Like, it doesn't feel like it's playing the
1: miniseries
3: no, game.
0: No, this, this feels like an ongoing book that just happens to only be seven issues.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's them banking on getting an extension or a second season, so to speak. But like, if this was issue issue thirteen of a you know a, a twenty plus issue run, you wouldn't even bat an eyelid this would be a, a solid issue. Maybe, again, I don't think it would be an old-timer issue still, but it'd be a solid issue. It's something I don't think we've talked about much when this has came up
0: already, but even the first three issues, maybe not issue one, because issue one is just an issue one, and it's hard to like, tell anything from that, but issues two and three do feel more like standalone chapters in a story that's maybe going to go for a while, rather than being parts two and three of like a simple arc. It doesn't feel like we're doing an arc, per se. It feels like... no. We're building blocks of a greater well, I thing. Think,
1: I think with issues two and three, I could, I could get by, okay, we're doing six, seven issues of just you know, one-shot stories, so to speak, with uh, maybe some connective tissue. Hmm. Whereas this feels like it's a deeper dive into the team. It's looking at the psyches. This is building up, okay, who they are, where they are right now. This feels like something you do in an ongoing book. Which, and
0: For the record, I don't think I have any complaints about any of that. Like I actually kind of like that it feels like issues is in an ongoing book. It makes me want an ongoing series.
1: It makes me want yeah. it to be ongoing. I think it's a little bit frustrating with this particular this particular issue more than the others, in that it feels this is going to sound so harsh, but I don't mean it to be so harsh. If I don't know the other word to use though, it sounds like a slightly wasted issue. And I don't again, I don't mean that to be really harsh, but like I say, if this is issue thirteen in a twenty issue run. You feel like okay, that's one of twenty odd. It's it's okay. When this is one of seven, it feels like hmm. Okay, you spent your middle issue of your run doing this. It's it's a more. I feel like when you've only got seven issues, you're making choices as to what those issues are. They have a little bit more weight on it. You have to make sure they're the best issues you've got. And it's not this is a bad issue. I just feel like this is maybe not the right issue for a miniseries. And mm. I, I, again, I don't know if that is Culver banking on getting more. Maybe he knows something we don't. Uh, I hope I'm he does. Not sure I agree with, I'm not sure I agree with the choice necessarily otherwise.
0: I mean, I think all the issues have felt kind of like they're part of an ongoing rather than a miniseries. Because you know, a series typically, it's an arc. It's just a simple story arc that's going to have a beginning, middle, and end. And this feels more like, you no, know, no, these are ongoing characters that we're we're dipping into and we're going to tell individual interesting stories that that build them up. And I've really appreciated that, and this is the only one that's maybe been a little bit weaker, just because of the. I think no, because
1: I agree with what you're saying there, and I think the other issues have been individual stories that have been sure, like you could throw them in an ongoing and they wouldn't feel out of place. But like they've still been pretty self-contained stories. This is not this issue isn't a story, right? There is no narrative structure well, to this yeah. issue. And that's why that's why it's the weakest one of the bunch. That's, that's why that's why it sticks out as not something in a mini series even more than the others for me. Because it feels like very much like this is a snapshot of the characters. Yeah. But because all the issues feel like they're not really mini-series issues,
0: I actually don't have a problem with that part of it. My problem my, my problem is just that it's a bit weaker because it doesn't really tell a story and it's so own. Um and yeah, I, I hope there is more. I've been saying that since issue one, because
2: oh, immediately
1: yeah. it was great, and I'm... I'm I, I loved definitely... It. I really hope there is more. It's, even with this issue being the weakest, it makes me want this to be an ongoing more, because it justifies... It makes this feel more natural in its existence if there's more issues. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's going to get a sequel series or something, or, or maybe there's plans for... I think, as well, the fact that they gave Culver the uh, the Night Terrors book, Zatanna, but made it yeah, with with Robot Man as like, a, a co-star in that book. Yeah, yeah. Tells me maybe DC have some confidence in what he's doing with this book. Obviously, that will have been presumably works before there were even any sales data, really, on the first issue to work with uh, of this. But uh, unless this is selling horrifically badly, in context of a Doom Patrol book, I want to say, because obviously they never sell amazingly... Unless this is selling particularly badly for that. I feel like they've got some faith in what he's doing here, at least. There could be just a plan for a separate book that's like
0: a sequel to this, where the Doom Patrol are going to feature heavily in that Culver is going to be writing. It and could be as simple as that. Even the last Doom Patrol book, the uh, the Gerard Way stuff, got two separate minis. That's true. That's true. Uh, so it could be a case of, like, there is a clear plan for something beyond these seven issues. Uh, and, I hope so. And then maybe... That's where the the big story is going to be, and the, this this seven issue series is all about the groundwork of who all the characters are and making us care about them all. And then whatever this next series could be, if there is one, it'll be more the the actual six issue story of like a big event. You know, and I don't mean event in the comic book sense. I just mean there's a a story actually building up over the six issues as opposed to uh, what this has been so far. That said, though, even if it is just a second series of stories like this. I'll actually be quite happy. I mean, yeah, but- I, I would not be opposed to six standalone, just random issues. Yeah, like I'd be fine with that again. Because if they, you know, if we only get these seven, I'll be quite happy with what we've had so far. So, uh, it just makes me want more, which is you know about as positive yeah. as a thing you could say uh, about most things. So, uh, what are you giving Danger Street? Sorry,
1: no, that's next. Uh, what are you giving the Stoppable Doom Patrol issue for? Uh, I'm gonna give it a. It's still pretty good, but I don't think it's quite as good as any of the previous issues.
0: Yeah, it's a happy 7 for me. I still think, you know, it looks great. I like the little character tidbits we get, especially the newer characters who we don't know as well. Um, And the tease at the end with Jane and the chief character. I think is all quite interesting. But it doesn't tell as much of a story as the previous issues, where those were all really good, like self-contained stories that played into the ongoing characters, but uh th- those all had really satisfying kind of overall like arcs in them so it's a bit weaker by that by that nature so there you go uh danger street issue 7 tom king with jorge Fornes on the r so it's a shame matt's missing this week because matt's been reading this as well and we've had pretty in-depth discussions uh across the board this one has a time jump which is interesting it's a month later at the start of this book. So some things that uh, have developed off-panel that we kind of learned throughout the issue. One of the main through-lines of this issue is that Lady Cop, uh, who we actually get her name in this issue. I don't know if they brought it up before, uh, or if this was like a sort of first-time reveal, but it's mentioned a couple times here. But she is in the waiting room trying to talk to the Commodore who is the the leader of the Green Team, uh, one of the only two surviving members of the Green Team, um And her whole thing, she's basically in that Seinfeld episode, where they're in the, the, the waiting room of the Chinese restaurant and they can't get in. Uh, She's here and she's just been told by the assistant over and over again that it'll be a few more minutes, and she's there for hours in the waiting room. Uh, She eventually talks to Jack Ryder, who comes in, and he gets to see Commodore quite quickly about notes for his show that night. Uh, But they strike up something that might turn into a friendship and possibly an alliance uh that that could develop into something um so but uh so we have the other uh mr simon he's the other surviving green team member who at the end of last issue went to the outsiders who everyone in the comments did let us know that these outsiders were a real thing uh from that old comic book series um which are just your team of misfits and it seems like manhunter shows up to kill mr simon a uh, great full-page spread of, because uh, Simon's like on a, you know, he's sunbathing on like a little deck chair, and there's a great full-page spread looking up at Manhunter, where, you know, he's in almost silhouette with his face because of the bright sun behind him. Great page. Um, so he goes on the run, but the big sort of reveal with that plot at the end is that this is kind of a trap, and that the outsiders that he went to for help were waiting in the water. So... The cliffhanger to that is that, oh, shit, they might have actually captured Manhunter or, or might hurt him or something. Uh, the other plot going on is the Dingbats are graffitiing the Danger Street road sign and they they cross out the D so it says Anger Street um, and they're immediately arrested by one of the cops. Um, but there's kind of a reveal with this too, where this is actually part of a plan. It seems like they wanted to get arrested because when they go into the, the station and they're getting processed... Uh, the uh, skinny kid, uh, non-fat, he's put in a cell with Warlord, and immediately it kind of sounds like they know who this is, and they've been talking to Starman. And there's a panel on the last page that yeah, this breakout plan, whatever whatever it is, is Starman from the outside is going to break them all out at the same time. So for for whatever reason, you know, they they've formed kind of an alliance with the, the the very people that they were you know going to try and kill, um possibly to try and get the friend back or get revenge on the person really responsible for his death very very interesting it was it was kind of exciting realizing that they're actually working in cahoots with Starman and warlord uh, just because like obviously the last several issues they've been like oh we need to find out who killed uh, the other kid and we have to like get revenge clearly some plan is formed and it's quite exciting Um, so I was into those developments and kind of the slow realization of that that was quite exciting uh, the stuff with Lady Cop and Jack Ryder um, where, you know, she's frustrated because she can't just go see uh, Commodore um, and he's, if anything, taken aback that she doesn't just know who he is. Um, in fact, there's even, like, maybe even a reference to, like, you know, a lot of people's parents like watch Fox News uh, where she says, oh, I think my dad watches you at one point. Uh, I, I kind of took that as a, a sly little reference to that. Um, but he basically says oh we're kind of in the same lane of business you know we're out for the the good of the people but he talks about how he's got a friend who could maybe help if there's something going on uh because she mentions that there's you know the green team might be tied to this murder of a young boy and an alien and uh Rider offers his business card and says to contact him that you know maybe his friend can help i think that's on his way out he gives her the card And sure enough, uh, it seems like they're going to meet for, uh, you know, coffee or something uh, in the future. And she never does get to see the Commodore. You know, the assistant basically says, oh, no, something came up, sorry. Uh, We can pencil you in for like seven weeks from today kind of thing. And there's a really ominous part with the assistant where eventually the assistant has to leave for the night and she's like, you have to kind of leave with me now because I'm going. And in the elevator on the way down, He, uh... Or, sorry, she basically says, you know, and Lady Cup doesn't know if she can take this as a joke or not. She's sort of thinking it may be a joke, but she's not sure. But this woman basically says, yeah, I have to do whatever Commodore says because he's got my son kidnapped, and he sent me a toe before, and if I don't do what he says or I try and quit, they'll send me his eyes or possibly his whole whole body. And Lady Cup is, like, Legitimately not sure how to take this, and it it kind of reads to me like a scene in a movie where someone says something really crazy, and you just don't know. Like the other character doesn't know how to take it. Is it like is she being serious right now? Um, and it's just really kind of ominous little moment. Uh, so that's really good. Uh, the other big scenes that are at play in here are, uh, so there's more of the prison breakout stuff. Uh, but we've got a scene with Orion, but I didn't realize it was him at first because he's not got his outfit on. He's just sitting there drinking booze, uh, which he ends up pouring on his mother box because uh, he's failed his mission. Uh, and there's also a scene on Apocalypse uh, with uh, Dark Side basically telling everyone to, like, you know, get the fuel of the volcanoes to power this big thing they're doing uh, with High Father and whatnot. Uh, you know, bringing up you know New Genesis and Apocalypse together. It's a it's a whole big thing, right? There's a there's a lot of moving parts, um, and I think there's always this worry every time I start an issue of this that, I, oh, am I going to remember everything that was going on last issue? And I think for the most part, like, it actually flows really well, and, like, the big moments are exciting because of all these characters finally starting to come together. The idea that uh, the Creeper may end up helping out in some of the Lady Cop investigation stuff... Um, is it quite exciting it's like because you know has been so separate other than interacting with the green team for his show that it's actually quite interesting that he may end up being instrumental in bringing the commodore down um likewise the kids working potentially with warlord and starman feel like a really big change from the first half of the book uh like you know eventually all the forces of good might end up working together to take down the bad guys uh that's all really exciting stuff and there's some fun stuff in there as well actually where the kid uh uh non-fat is talking about lady cop and then the other cop refers to her as lady cop and he's oh you effed up now i'm going to tell her you called her lady cop she hates that uh and he immediately starts to like like get scared and he's like no don't tell her please as he's like throwing the kid into the jail cell I, I, you know, that's the sort of thing where they've, they've built up these characters over the issues that you can enjoy these little teases and payoffs. Uh, Two of that, you know, there's these little fun little beats you can play. So, no, all that stuff was great. Um, it really feels like it's paying off a lot of the things that it's been building up uh, over those six issues, and it feels exciting that they're doing it because they've kept all these plot lines relatively separate and there is this genuine excitement of characters finally talking to each other, and it's not that it's been spinning its wheels up until this point. Everything it's been doing and all of its plots have all been very well-paced, and all been very valid, but now that some of the characters are starting to come together, it feels like, oh, now, like, this may be, like, turning the tide, and that the villains may not stand a chance, potentially, if they all come together. Uh, So, it's very exciting on that front. Um, So... It's all very good. There is like a weird thing at the start where the Doctor Fate helmet who's telling the story says, I could tell you what happened in this month that we're skipping, but I don't have time for that. And then the story gets going. I almost feel like like, I get why you don't want to tell us that because part of the fun of this issue is seeing all the things that have changed over the course, but it's weird for the helmet to even mention that it could just tell us what happened in that month. It's almost like you're pointing out the writing technique and it's not even a flaw, it's just like don't point out. Just, just, just get on with it. <laughs> it's fine. Almost just a little too meta uh, in that one little, one little moment. Um, they are as per usual as phenomenal uh, throughout the book. Uh, it's very expressive, and it's dealing with a lot of interesting moments. Something like uh, in in the jail cell playing cards with Warlord, and just like, the different reactions and expressions on the faces. Um, where you know, you get the sense that this is, like, an alliance that's formed because they've got a mutual enemy, but it's not, like, they're best friends or anything. You know, Nonfat's reactions and, like, the way he's talking to Warlord don't come off as, like, you know, someone who's, like, finally found an ally. They come across as, like, almost, like, bizarrely equals who need each other a- in a weird way. And you get the impression that they've been talking a lot to Starman, and that Starman's told his version of the events and Warlord tells it slightly differently Um, and Nonfat points that out and says, yeah, Starman's was kind of like better, it made more sense Uh, yours is a bit more nihilistic because Warlord, it it sounds like didn't really care about joining the Justice League he was doing it mainly for Starman because Starman was his friend because Starman treated him well uh, when everyone else just thought he was an idiot with a sword and a loincloth Uh, so that kind of develops their friendship a little bit uh, which is kind of nice um, I think I also like the idea that we learn about this potential alliance through just one of either characters or one of one of either sides, like character. I like that it's just Warlord and Nonfat, and it's just a conversation between them. It's not all the kids with both the adults at the same time. It kind of I don't know. It, it lets us discover some of the details just through natural conversation in a way that it makes you excited for what's what's off-panel. It makes you excited for what you've not seen, what conversations you've not been privy to. And, like, it's almost like like using mystery very effectively in something that's not a mystery per se, it's just revealing what's going on. Um, and not in a frustrating sense, like, it's revealing things at a good pace, it's revealing things um, in a way where, by, you know, from the start of the issue to the end of the issue, you're like, okay, I know where we're going now and you've over the course like teased what's going on, you've then revealed what's going on, and now we can be excited for what the new status quo is. And I think it's like part of the writing technique that King uses in this book that's been really satisfying. It's the one thing that maybe on issue one was a little hard to take in because there was all these different plot threads, but ever since you got that 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 footing from after an issue or two, like they've all been very satisfying because they've all been advancing things and they've always felt like everything's going to like eventually start to cross over, and now it's exciting because several of these plot threads are crossing over, um, and that's been good fun. So, uh, yeah, um, Dangerous Street Issue Seven, a great issue. I would probably say it's just a solid nine out of ten. It's kind of just an easy score to give out. Uh, it's exciting. Everything's clicking together, and it feels like all the build-up is paying off in all these little ways. And even as simple as, like, we never see the Commodore in this issue. And we've seen him in previous issues, but by having the kid off-camera, or, or off-panel, I should say, uh, this entire issue, kind of builds this ominous threat, and we know that he made a deal with codename Assassin, uh, to, like, just protect him and kill the other kids instead. Uh, or, not even kill their other kids, but just don't protect the other kids so that all of his focus is on him. And it's like, okay, how much more powerful has he gotten in this month that we've now skipped? We don't know. So that kind of builds up a bit of mystique around him, which is also quite exciting. So uh, no, 9 out of 10, really good. Uh, Loved it. Uh, As per usual, one of King's Black Label books is one of the most exciting comics of the month. Uh, And I'm very glad that this did not take the month off uh, with Night Terrors. (laughs) So uh, very good. So yeah, that'll take us out of the part of the show uh, where either myself or Connor will do a Patreon book. Every month at patreon.com slash TV, you can make myself or Connor read a book of your choosing. And Connor's going to talk about Noctera issue 13, so take it away.
1: Yeah, this uh, picks up right after the last issue with the reveal of uh, Bill being back, and he is... just basically an eldritch terror now he's he, he oh, still... No, not Bill. Bill was always the villain. Okay. Yeah. but I, I don't listen to you. For all I knew, he was uh, a, a good guy. I'm to... aware. Yeah. <laughs> Bill was always the villain. He's he's in the completely blacked out substance. So he just looks like a silhouette on page. All, all you see is his mouth and the outline. Basically the rest of it is just this pure black substance. But now he has tentacles like out of his back and... It it cuts to like a giant Eldritch octopus squid thing with a thousand eyes in space. It's 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 creepy. It's cool. I'm here for it. And they blast him with a gun out of a taco dog on the truck. Which also cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um he, he calls the bluff. He's like, Hey, I I I was Sundog, I know what capabilities you got. You haven't got any guns on that truck, you can't harm me. And um And the guy says, and I quote, eat taco dog, bitch. And there's a giant gun in the taco dog on the top of the truck that takes a huge chunk out of his head. And I mean chunk out of his head, like eye out to the side, all gone. It looks great. It's a full page of just that. And Tony Daniel absolutely kills it with that page um, because... That that's part of the draw of this series, is is Tony Daniel's art. That's that's why it's been all him except the uh except the one shots, which have been guest artists. Um And he's been doing great. And that's a great page. It's probably the standout page of the issue. Uh the rest of the issue though, it features uh more flashbacks for M. Uh stuff from pre everything going down. Uh it, it's He's him learning that his parents are actually still alive, he thought they were dead, obviously he's been adopted uh turns out not, and he's got an address, and this is intercut throughout the rest of the issue of him deciding to go to the address and and see his parents that he's not seen in you know a couple of years he thought they were dead, and it's this kind of run down looking shack and uh this is right at the end now. When he gets there, he gets there, he goes in. He's like, hi, is anyone home? And the the last panel we get, that is him walking in the door and then being smacked on the back of the head with a gun, like with the with the butt. Um,
2: not the reunion he was hoping for, I'm sure. But I'm
1: sure that'll pick up next time. Uh, it's... It flows really nicely with the main story, the way it's cut back and forth. But the other, the main story is more interesting because that's them finally getting into Eos. They think they think they're not going to open, but they're like, hey, no, we have the equation. They have to, and and they do open up. And they're like, hey, what's inside? What is this place? And then you you just hear a voice off you know off panel. You know, no, it's simple, young man. Uh, this place is Eos, and then you see and there is giant luminescent beings like just people made of light but they are giant and they're in this kind of garden of eden style like jungle almost and it is a phenomenal just this gorgeous double page spread to end on and it is the big reveal it's the it's the it's probably the biggest moment in the book since the first issue of this is this is what it's been building to this EOS stuff and they finally get here. They're expecting, you know, this society. They're expecting people running a machine, and you walk, you know, it walks in this door, and and it's just these giant beings of light, and they're they're really oddly proportioned as well. Like in a, not in a bad art way, but in the sense of like their arms, their hands go all the way down to their knees when they're stood up, but they have these really long, like almost a um, gray alien style arms. Uh, it's, it's something. It's it's a hell of a visual to end on, and you see quite a lot of them. There's like four or five in the foreground, but you see quite a few just like heads in the background as well over the bushes, um, implying this place is really big and there's a there's a curvature going on here. Uh, but yeah, it's a hell of a moment, and it is it is what this issue builds up to them getting inside and, and getting to that. Uh, they think that uh, Bill is dead again he's probably not let's be honest that's kind of the, the shtick right now is they thought he was dead last time and, and then he wasn't this time they blast him through the head it was cool he's still probably not dead I don't know how I don't know why but I'm sure he's not um, but this was a great issue this time It really really quick read uh, absolute blasted through it but then you know the the, the big page would Bill, and then that final page just being like what the hell Really feels like okay, this is a turning point for the series of to some answers now. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love this issue. This was probably this is an eight point five. This is the best issue in a while. Oh, very good.
0: All right, well, that is like the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week: favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover, favorite art, and top five books. So, starting off with moment slash panel of the week, what you got?
2: Uh, despite everything else, I'm
1: gonna go with the Green Lantern issue. Just that <laughs> page of... No, 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 just the page of the, of, the, of his dad getting out of the coffin. Okay. And just, just the sheer art of it, I think, was was really I nice art. Yeah, and, I, uh, I'm,
0: I'm going... So I was tempted to do, like, Mary waking herself up by saying Shazam in her sleep, because I think that's a really funny, cool idea. Uh, but instead I'm going to go with Billy killing all of the members of the family with lightning at the end, because I thought that was dark as shit. Um, it's not my favorite issue of the week, but by far, it had like the probably the most memorable individual moments of the week. So, I'll give it to that one. Uh, cover of the week, I've got a few to, to shout out. I'm actually having a hard time picking my favorite. I think I've got one. So, I think I'll shout out the Matina cover for Night Towers 1. It's just, you know, Matina's obviously just gorgeous art. This dead man looking all spooky. With ghosts and stuff around them, uh, there's a Shainer cover for Teen Titans, the world's finest book, with just uh Robin. I I wouldn't pick it as my favorite because I- I- there's not much to it in terms of like an idea. It's just kind of Robin standing there with some sketches around him, but it looks obviously very nice. Box, nice. Yeah. Um, there's a gorgeous, almost Matina looking uh, cover to the regular uh, Green Lantern uh, cover. Uh, it looks really good. Um, it's just Green Lantern screaming basically, but it's very detailed and that highly painted style. Uh, it's uh, Lucio Perillo, what the artist on that cover. Um, but my pick of the week is the variant for Danger Street, which is Bill Senkovich, which is this gorgeous sort of David Mack-looking creeper cover. Um, sort of, you know, the the faded paint edges and things like that. Uh, it's just really... Sienkiewicz yeah. is great at those horrific sort of looking images, all yeah. that horror stuff. It's just really striking. Um, works really well. Uh, has a lot of atmosphere. Those are all good covers too, but those were the ones that stuck out the most to me. But yeah, so I'll, I'll go with the variant for Danger Street. What was your pick?
1: Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to all the uh the Dust and Wind Midnight variants, you, those you know, are black and red ones. I never mentioned them because I think
0: I picked one last week as a winner. Uh, but yeah, th- he's done them for a lot of the tie-ins. Yeah, these red and I
1: black. Every single one of them looks great. I, but just because I don't want to choose one of those because I don't want to pick between them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm gonna go with the the Malive cover for Night Terrors, uh the, the main book, which is kinda uh the Deadman version of Batman, uh, but like with a deadman style outfit on. Like he has got some elements of the dead mm-hmm. man outfit to to the Batman suit. Um and it's a really nice cover. Interesting.
3: Uh all right, Art of the Week. Uh you got a pick? Mm. World's finest teen, uh, well, fine teen times. I think Lippertuna takes it for me. Uh, that is
0: fair. Uh, I, I did also like the art in Night Terrorist uh, Zatanna. Um, yeah, me too.
1: That, that and Green Lantern are probably the next two
0: for art. Yeah. Uh, I also really like Doom Patrol. Uh, I think Lafayette has been really good on that book. Uh, that said, though, I read a Jorge Fornes book this week, so Danger That's Street fair. takes it. Yeah. Uh, quite happily. I can't so, argue with that. Simple enough. All right, top five, go. Oh, well, it's bullets well, finest. Uh, the
2: the Tintines is first. Um, then I guess uh Doom Patrol, Lenzatana. I think it's probably Shazam after that. Am I, might, am I looking at Flash after that? Is that my fifth one? <laughs>
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Spoiler spoil for choice. I think it kind of has. No, I no. I think I think the uh, the standard Night Terrors book was less of, less offensive. I
3: think it's I used that like All
0: right, my number one is Danger Street. My number two is World's Finest Teen Titans. Uh, my number three is Night Terrors. One number four,
3: probably Unstoppable Doom Patrol, and then number five, Night Terrors. I'm, kind of, I'm actually a little bit torn. I think Zatanna is probably the more interesting
0: overall from like the event perspective, but I think the Shazam book is was probably more memorable and a little more enjoyable. So I am going to go with Shazam, but it's very close uh, between those two. Uh, so I didn't have to put Flash or Green Lantern on my top five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easy peasy. Okay, there you go. That's uh, our top picks of the week uh, i will now tell you what is coming next week from dc comics when it should be all three of us on the show so that's fun uh next week we have batman superman world's finest 17 we have superboy the man of tomorrow issue 4 we've got night terrors superman issue 1 night terrors nightwing issue 1 we have batman white knight presents generation joker issue 3 we got night terrors wonder woman issue 1 we have Hog Girl issue 1, so that's a new miniseries starting. Should be interested to check out that. Uh, we have Night Terror's Catwoman issue 1. Uh, Tales of the Titans issue 1, uh, which I think was a digital first series. And then we have The Vigil issue 3. We've got Night Terror's Punchline issue 1 and Harley Quinn Black and White and Redder issue 1 as well. Uh, so I think the obvious like, skips for us next week in these Night Terror's books are Punchline and Catwoman.
1: because yes, Catwoman. Being a regular writer book that the we're not we're, reading.
0: Yeah, that we're, none of us are reading. And, and Punchline it, being Punchline. And Punchline being Punchline. I mean, do I, mean, I think if, was, if, if there was a creative team on it that was really compelling, I would... But I've never heard of the writer, so it's kind of an easy skip. Yeah. um, But, you know, uh, we'll see what Nightwing, Superman, and Wonder Woman bring to the table, and then we've got the new hot girl book. Vigil's been great, and Moral's Finest is obviously something we're reading anyway, so... Uh, so it's a bit quieter than this week, thankfully, Uh so let us breathe just a touch and we'll see how it goes. But that is what's coming next week from DC Comics. So yeah, by all means, let us know what you thought of the books, uh, like, subscribe, all these things help it a lot, but of course if you want to help more directly, you can do that financially over at patreon.com slash Uh Get the show a little bit early at the $5 and up, um, you know, but any and all help is appreciated and does help the show a lot so uh thank you very much for joining us and supporting the show uh you know this full year's worth of episode uh, later uh we'll see you next time for 366 uh but this has been the show so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep reading dc comics and remember to never get lost in the speed force